Wilderness Podcast. Good morning, Jordan. Hey, how's it going, Bobby? It's going really well. Today is a beautiful spring day. It is May 3rd. May 3rd, 2021. And we are back. Welcome to the apocalypse. <laughs> well, I team, think... Team I think, reality during the apocalypse. I think the apocalypse was set in motion a long time ago. It's a slow motion apocalypse. Yeah, uh, I was talking to some friends last night and the sentiment was, well, we're not in Kansas anymore. You know, clearly we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, that's a funny phrase if you think about it. It obviously comes from The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. When she... Dorothy wakes up in Oz and she says to her dog, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. It's like, what tipped you off? (laughs) The talking scarecrow? Well, it's, uh, yeah, we see all the signs, right? I mean, people, there's a lot of people who want to bury their, their head in the sand and kind of ignore the problem. Um, you know, there, there's, a list of the stages of grief right or coping they're sometimes called the five stages of grief or the seven stages of grief Mm -hmm. and the seven stages go like this first you go through shock and denial then pain and guilt anger and bargaining depression the upward turn reconstruction and working through and then acceptance and hope i don't like that one i like the five stages of grief it's more simple and it it's more stark more bleak (laughs) i think it's more real because when you go through grief you get you don't when you have an episode in your life where something bad happens you don't go back to the previous normal you go back to a new normal it's always a new normal as much as we would prefer it not to be a new normal these are even the neuro-linguistic terms that the media is using to talk about it, is, it, is look, expect a new normal. Don't expect your life to go back to the, the way it used to be, which is nefarious because the oligarchy and the, their mouthpiece, the media, the corporate media, is just trying to manage the herd. The way they look at us is a bunch of cattle. We've well, talked about that. And they're trying to get us into a new mode Right, that they have chosen, not a normal that we. Right, pick. that's what I can say. It's nefarious because they're creating what they believe should be the new normal. There's, you know, there's always we we go through our, as we go through our lives, like you said, there's going to be life changing events. Some of those are tough. Some of those aren't aren't necessarily bad things. You know, just going to, you know, going to college might be a, a life changing event where your life's never the same after that, or working at a certain job for a few years. Going from a happy-go-lucky 18-year-old to a 19-year-old stuck in the MTC, the Missionary (laughs) Training Center, for those who aren't aware of Mormon acronym vernacular jargon. Right. But yeah, I remember being in the Missionary Training Center the first couple of nights going, oh my, I am screwed, hosed. You and me both. There's nothing I could do about this. You and me both, in fact. I'm caught in it. There was something that I could do about it. I did something about it. I left. I just turned out. I just walked right out. Yeah, which I, I've heard the story, and the listeners, I don't, not all the <laughs> listeners have heard it, so you should tell it, but I am, well, I'm, I'm not significantly gonna... <laughs> impressed at your strength of individuality and will at that age in your life, because I would never, I, I would have just, 
I, I did. I cri- <laughs> cried myself to sleep on my huge pillow. <laughs> it's like an orange on a toothpick. <laughs> that was a bad accent. Gargantuan cranium. Holding that gargantuan cranium about. That, uh, that thing's got its own weather system. That movie, uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer, um, classic. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's kind of been forgotten about, but I think it came out in, what, 1995, 96, somewhere in there. Maybe even a little earlier than that. Great, great movie. It's Mike Myers, right? Yeah. And he plays himself and the dad. Yeah. And does he play his sister? or is That's uh, it, it, Michael J. Fox in, in Back to the Future when he it, plays his sister. In that scene, I think he plays a couple of characters, yeah. But it's um, Mike Myers sort of, he kind of crescendoed, and then he made awesome powers, and then I haven't seen him much recently i think he made enough money that he just he and uh dana carvey resurfaced recently for a taco bell uh super bowl ad where they where they were playing their uh wayne's world characters again and it was kind of sad actually you know it it didn't reliving that's the sad state of our society today is we can only relive because of copyright laws uh maybe if i hopefully i can find it there's an article that I read one time called The Mouse That Ate the Public Domain. Mm-hmm. And I used to own the domain name. Does it have to do with Disney? Yeah. I, I used to own the domain name protectfairuse.com. We have a fair use notice. Right. While you're you looking at it. Right, you, you can't do two things at once. I'm just typing the notes so I can put these in the sources later on on the, pa- on the webpage. For those of you, you that don't know, on our website, mindvirus.show, we like to list the sources referenced in the podcast, so you can go down all the rabbit holes that we're going down as we discuss this. But copyright laws are interesting. Copyright laws used to be the same length as patent laws, which was 14 years at the inception of this country. And the idea behind copyright and patent, because the question is, can you really own an idea? Can you really own the idea? Do you get to say, hey, I invented electricity, so now everybody that uses electricity forevermore has to pay me because I discovered this natural phenomenon. It's a little more nuanced when you're talking about a lengthy work that a person has produced, like a song or a movie or a story. But the issue is that these things get into the public domain and they ought to be public. And so there's this balance between how well we should protect the authors and how much we need to allow the public to participate because once it gets once it becomes well known it becomes part of the public mind like for example star wars or mickey mouse and that's what the article the mouse that ate the public domain is all about is that once mickey mouse came up for copyright expiration disney an, a, lobbied via a senator from one of the carolinas who they like to call the senator from disney because every time mickey mouse comes up for expiration copyright expiration they get the copyright laws extended and so whereas they used to be and by the way, when a, when a work has its copyright expire, it goes into what's called the public domain. And then you can use it, and you can talk about it, and you can make create derivative works, which is the sad thing about Mickey Mouse and Star Wars and other things like that, is we can't create derivative works. Luke Skywalker is so, would you call him ubiquitous? He's so ev- omnipresent, ever, he, he, he's in the public mind. It's like, it's like, almost like Jesus. It's like, it's like King David. You can, you can make reference to the Bible. You can write all kinds of historical fiction about the Civil War, but you can't about Star Wars 
because you can, but you, you just get you your brain sued you out. You can of write you. all the fan fiction you want, is what they call it now, fan fiction. But you can't make money off of right. it. Right? If you if you try to make any money, or if if it gets too popular, they'll take it down or or take it over and tell you what to do because they own the rights. Anyway, originally copyrights and patents were 14 year issues. So right. you'd have a 14 year protection period and then they extended them both one time to 17 years and then Disney gets involved and they begin extending the copyright because of the expiration on Mickey Mouse's copyright. And now copyrights last something like the life of the artist plus 90 years. Right. And a patent still is only 17 years. My father in his business uh, did some inventing and my grandfather and they had patents. I remember seeing the plaques on the walls and they only last 17 years. This is an issue in the medical industry because a lot of companies rush drugs to market before the patent expires. They want to get their designer drugs out. And so there's, there's been a lot no, of, no, 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 a big pharmaceutical company would never rush a drug to market without proper testing research. Oh, okay approvals Re rewind the tape let's that erase would, that that would, never, <laughs> that would never happen there's a there's plenty of discussion in at least non-mainstream media about how poorly that pharmaceutical companies behave on this in this regard they that type of intellectual property needs to be exploited quickly so that they can cash in on it make all their money and then if it's really great like say penicillin then it becomes a generic and so you mean that, that, there, that there would be there would likely be, say, propaganda or ad campaigns to discredit what we now call generic drugs? Like I don't know, let me just off the top of my head, maybe something like hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, hydroxychloroquine or zinc. And cross cross promoting or cross using that for for a various yeah, various like you wouldn't want to use that even if it worked on say the common cold, you wouldn't want to use that because it might cut into your profit margins. I mean, mm. wait, wait a minute. <laughs> hey, it might cut let into me, our profit margins. Let me put a, let me wrap up. Cause we left people hanging a little bit with this MTC story. I don't want to tell the whole story. Okay. Well, let's go back. Cause let's, let's chase the, let's chase the tangent back because we're talking about the copyrights. We're talking about, um, why were we talking about copyrights? I don't know. So I married an ax murderer. <laughs> yes. Mike Myers. Oh, Mike Myers and Wayne's World. They revisited Wayne's World in the Taco Bell ad. Oh, and the issue was that we lack crea creativity now because you can't do anything. Right. All the ideas are spoken for. And that, that's what I was getting at is the world is all screwed up because you, you've got to be careful. You can't talk about anything in the world because it's all copyrighted. And well, then... I, I also think that... We have no new creativity. We I can't think, build I on anything. I think there's a real lack of creative creative uh energy if, if that's the right word you if you look at at least in the mainstream because there are some nice uh novels and comics and art being created by independent people yeah uh, but they music. have to they have to sell an entirely new universe because right. they can't touch anyone else's universe and they can't like <coughs> they, they can't <laughs> The society has become incredibly litigious in the last 40 years. Right. So it used to be that you, you could use the word Kleenex, for example. Kleenex became so ubiquitous, so common, that now a piece of tissue paper that you blow your nose with, that's called a Kleenex. But that's a brand name. That's a trademarked name. Right. But 
the courts have ruled that, look, you were too successful. You can't get on people's cases for calling their stuff Kleenex or whatever. You know, they, right. they, they, they limit the actual well, and, and brand. There's a lot of, there's a lot of those, like the Kleenex example. I think, um, I'm trying to think of some off the top of my head, but I'm not going to bother because we'll just uh, keep chasing the tangent back to where we started. Cause we do have a topic today. Um, but there is a, an institutional lack of creativity where, where you have, you end up having, see, we, we've talked about movies like the Truman show, which I think was really a unique movie idea and a story, a way to tell a story. I think uh, stranger than fiction. Another one that we've talked about was a unique story idea. Very creative. But now we have a whole bunch of rehashes and redos and sequels. So, you know, remakes of like yeah, Red, this Red is Dawn. Related, this is related to the, the Taco Bell commercial and Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. And the point is they were great when they were fresh, but these big companies are just recycling this stuff because they think they can make money on the nostalgia effect, which there's a right. ton of movies that do that, right? Like, uh, what is it, Fifty First States? Or, you know, all the, any, of those, any of the movies where they have the 80s music they know now that those people that lived through that time period have money. Well, they're marketing to our generation now. Right. We're starting to see that as if, you know, we're the Taco Bell demographic. I don't know. Maybe we are our age. Group. Yeah, but that they just, I, I think it's a big cop-out. It's like we, right. don't, we don't have anything better than I this. I think what it is, too, is people in our demographic, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of referred to as Gen Xers, and we're getting closer to our topic today, by the way. Yeah it's people that are our age who are now running the these companies and are the creative directors at Taco Bell and so they they say I liked Wayne's World when I was a kid let's do a Wayne's World throwback how cool would that be let's get let's throw some money at Dana Carvey and Mike Myers and put them in their Aurora basement again doing their yeah. Wayne's World bit and it, on paper, I guess you think, yeah, that's that'll be well, fun. Well, it's low risk. It's low risk because it worked once. It's low risk, but it's also, I think, low reward. I don't think, like, I mean, we're talking about it, but not for the right reasons. Yeah. And it certainly didn't make me want to go get a burrito at Taco Bell. Well, look, we're, we're talking about, the reason that came up is we're talking about when the world irrevocably changes for a person, either in a, in a microcosmic way or in a societal way or whatever, and... You were gonna you were gonna tell the story about walking out of the MTC, the Missionary Training Center, and I I had pointed out the the stages of grief, and so I want to read the five stages of grief because okay. I think this is better than the seven stages, and then, you know, see Bobby got to a certain point in here, and he broke the he broke out of the mold, whereas I just went through it. The stages are this: denial, number one, anger number two, bargaining, number three, depression, number four, and then finally, number five, acceptance. So in my case, when I went to the Missionary Training Center, I skipped from denial, kind of punched anger, skipped bargaining, jumped into depression, and then finally accepted it after a week or so, right? And then when I got into uh, the foreign, I, I went on a mission to France, uh, Switzerland area, and had to go through the exact same culture shock there. And, and so you, you can see, though, when you have a, a life-changing event or a, a very traumatic issue that occurs in your life, you go through this type of a process. And 
I think the point was we, we're talking about new normals. We're talking about how society's in a shifting, in a, dare I say, a turning. It's in a turning. It's in a, it's in a, a point of, of inflection, and it has been for a while. And this, there's a, this all started because I said the word apocalypse, and we'll get back to that. Right. But tell us a story about the MTC. Well, I don't want to tell the whole story. Tell us a little bit of the story. I, I went to the MTC uh, on a Wednesday, as is the, is the tradition. I think mm-hmm. that's still the traditional arrival day. Do they still let people into the MTC, or do they well, do it all at I home Well, I mean, now? before... Before the B- uh, BC before or BP BP before pandemic, right? By Sunday, I'd had enough, and I and I just took matters into my own hands, and I left. I just walked out, I left and all my belongings. You behind, left everything there, and just walked right out the front gates, and I walked. I walked all the way to my home, and uh, you know that gives my my Utah County home of my youth. <clears throat> Anyway, it was a long walk. Cutting <laughs> cutting the story short, uh, I did go back a few days later, and ended up, you know, serving a, a mission. And I and I think that every mission, I'm convinced. And and I spoke during that time. I spoke with the one of the counselors at the MTC, one of the church counselors, not like a social counselor. So there's a presidency at the MTC. Right, you have the president of the MTC, and he has two counselors, sort of like a bishopric or the Mormon LDS first presidency. Anyway, they run the MTC, and I spoke with one of the counselors multiple times, and basically, I realized that I was just doing what everybody else wants to do. He acknowledged that it's a tough place, and it's a it's a shock for a teenager to go from a fairly, you know, uh, free easy life to so, being this <laughs> this regimented almost uh con, you know well it was confinement yeah it's confinement with, with so very you, strict rules so you went through denial for two days got right into anger and then just popped right out like yeah basically. there's no bargaining it was like hey i'm i'm returning this i'm getting you a full refund i'm out terrorists. of here yeah don't negotiate with <laughs> terrorists i'm out of here no but then i do want to make make it clear though that that those two years were not the best two years of my life as often is said but they were i enjoyed them i i I genuinely enjoyed i went to canada western canada it's beautiful and i made great friends and it was a good quality experience i had a rough time we you know not a lot of people want to talk to you in france Switzerland, they're kind of, a lot of more of a closed culture. A lot of people wanted to talk to us, but mostly they wanted to swear and yell at us. Oh, yeah? But at least it's in your, uh, my, your my native language, language yeah. so you understand all the swear words. I remember right. I had a French companion, and one time we got cussed out, and he had to describe how the F word worked <laughs> for me. Because in French, it's far more descriptive. Right. <laughs> it's not like the word, the F word in English, it's like, Okay, it just means this, and it, it actually means a lot of different things. Have you seen some of those comics who do, uh, they, they clown about the SHIT or ASS, they, here's how Americans use these, these swears, and they use them as verbs, as nouns, as adjectives. I've got I don't a, think I got, so. I, think, I wonder if I can find that. I'll post it on the website. Just be aware that there's swearing in it. Right. If I can find some of that, but that's, it's kind of funny how the, 
how we end up using those words in such a versatile way. Anyway, in France, they're kind of descriptive and well, not kind of, but I, I remember knocking on a door and the lady looked like she wanted to talk to us. And then the husband in the back told us to go F ourselves. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he says, let's go. My companion, my companion says, let's go. If you're not, if you, if you're not familiar with the LDS missionaries, you've always got two of them, right? Right. It's like Sith Lords. There's always two. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you've always got to be with this companion. You protect each other. It's the buddy system, right? So, and he, he's French and he's like, yeah, let's go. And I'm like, what? The lady looks nice. And he's like, let's go. I'll explain it to you on the way down the road. Right. Well, we don't want to bore you guys with mission stories. So we won't. Uh, but for the record, I mean, I had a good experience too. And I think it was the right thing to do. I just, it was a hard thing. It was a hard it is thing. A hard thing. It's, so, and I, I had fun. I had a lot of fun, but I, it was hard. I have a. I I really feel for some of the missionaries out now who have spent the majority of their time in an apartment on Facebook trying yeah. to to live like that. We had me. it a lot better. I think it's. I I know that there's some out there that are struggling, and it's just miserable for them to to try to. Because for someone like me and my personality, what helped me was and why the MTC was so, such a struggle was just. It helped me to be out among people, shaking hands, waving yeah. at people, smiling, talking, being being I in learned, a city, being in a in a town. I, I I learned. I grew up immensely, and so it was a great it was a great thing for me, and it was a good experience. It's just it was just hard. I mean, there's and and looking back, you go, okay, I understand why the church wants to limit limit its liability, and I understand that they want to institute all these r- rules for certain reasons, but. I don't think it has to be that way. I think it could have been a little bit different and we, you didn't have to be so isolated. But th- what that does is it makes it so they can't assembly line a, a significant proportion of the young men into this system. They have to have these regulations in order to make round pegs out of square posts. I, you know, the, go, go back to the picture on last week's podcasts where the... The teacher is cutting the thought bubbles of the kids into squares. Right. right. And they, there's something about a mission where they they've got to get this conformity thing. And it, it if 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 it weren't that way, they wouldn't be able to shoehorn so many kids into the program. And I'm my question to everybody out there, including the LDS that may be listening, is, well, what would be wrong with that? Is it, does it have to be the way that we think it is, you know, the way that it is, does it have to be that way or did it, did it get there for reasons other than inspiration? You know, I'm just, I'm just asking. Well, it's changing now. It's changing. It's, it's even before the pandemic, they were looking for ways to use social media. And I remember when, when the era, when we were out there, it was, uh, television ads, phone call yeah and then we would we called them media referrals and we would get a call from the mission office to say hey this person saw the ad they called in and requested a book of mormon can you go deliver it to them i think that happened to us once half the people would deny ever making the phone call once we showed up (laughs) some some lady had visited temple square 
and heard the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sing and had referred out, uh, had filled out a card. And it was fun because we had to travel like two or three hours to get to this person. I mean, that's how sparsely right. Mormonized Switzerland is. But anyway, well, so you walked out of the MTC. What did your mom say or your dad? What did your dad say when he saw you? Did he see who saw you first? Or were you just sitting there like having a glass of orange juice and a cookie? Well, that's and they where walk the, in. That's where the story gets a little bit uh, fun. Um, <laughs> the, the first person, can you divulge? The first person to see me, and this is, was purely coincidence. Is this like Mary seeing Jesus when he's resurrected? <laughs> Remember, it's like hello, <laughs> no cell phones. Okay, I didn't have cell phones. That's couldn't, right. Yeah, couldn't, te- t- couldn't text or call anybody. I was just about made it home, and my girlfriend drives up in her car and drives up to an intersection at the red light. And I'm standing at the corner. Are you wearing your tag? No, I put on street clothes. Oh, you're wearing street clothes. Okay. So you were incognito. I couldn't throw, I couldn't walk down the street with a tag on alone. People, that would be too obvious. People would have, I would Yeah. I I was curious. That's good. This is good. I'm getting more details because I was wondering, (laughs) Was he wearing a suit and tie, or was it just? No. I'm imagining you in a short sleeve white shirt with a tie on and a tag. No, on I was your... in a t-shirt and okay. jeans, basically. So you're like, I'm done with this. So your girlfriend sees you now. This is not this this girlfriend wasn't a uh, long term prospect, right? You didn't get married. We didn't, but at the time, I mean, you, sh- you thought she was the one. Didn't know, right? Oh, okay, but you know. So she sees you. Yeah, and. <gasps> and she, <gasps> yeah, exactly. So she picks me up in her car, and we were pretty close to my house at this point. She takes me home, and then the first thing, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Yeah, because it took me. Which a, is the ranch? The missionary training center, or at your house? Both. Okay. It took a few hours, right, to 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 walk, and um, it took a few hours for anybody to realize I was gone. <laughs> Even was, your companion, right? Or at least to report it. And phone calls were being made. Hey, your son is missing. AWOL. It's absent is he without with you. Leave. No, he's not with us. Uh, and then just as the kind of panic starts to boil up inside people's chests. Well, yeah, especially I show up. especially over the at the church because the the attorneys at this point, their blood is boiling. Probably. They're I like, oh, any... you lost a missionary? <laughs> you lost that missionary? I don't know that any attorneys got involved, but Mr. Flood Brother Floods, a high-ranking <laughs> official. Listen, listen, they lose a lot of missionaries. Uh, like I said, I did what what we a, don't want a lawsuit on a our hands. people. I think wanted wanted to do. I just okay. had the luxury of being able to walk. Okay, so you get you get home, and who's home? Everybody. Your whole family. Whole family. Did yeah. they were were they expecting you? Well, at that point, had the call come the, into yeah, the they, family? Yeah, they they knew that, something that, was up, that, right? That Bobby Flood was missing from they, the training they knew center. something was up. They see me pull into the driveway. You see your, they see not your a girlfriend. Good, yeah, not a good look, but it, everything was on the up and up. And uh, I spent, that was Sunday night. Monday, Monday I went back and met with the had people a chat, at the MTC. Had a chat with the counselor. And by Tuesday I was, I was back. I was back full time. What were the first words out of your mother's mouth? <laughs> I don't. I honestly don't remember. You're going to hell. <laughs> no, no, no. My parents were great. Really, uh, oh, good. Uh, supportive and understanding, and and all that. And uh, 
But okay, anyway, that, enough said. That, enough said. The, I'm pressing. Uh, that's the that's the uh, offline. I'm going to get all the details later. I'll sneak <laughs> when when uh, Bobby is on his trip this June. I'll sneak in all the details that I've. <laughs> it's, uh, you pretty much got them all. The only part I skipped over was the walking, and uh, you know, in a movie they would put music and fade shots of me from location to location to a little travel montage. Yeah, you know? kicking a rock, right? Kicking a can, waving at people. Stopping for a Slurpee, <laughs> which I didn't do because it was Sunday and I had no money anyway. Okay. <laughs> well, oh, funny. T- we started talking about apocalypse and turnings and the new the new normal. Things change. That I mean, that's I think that's the main point is things do change, but there's an oligarchy at work. There there are evil controllers in this world that want us to change in a certain way. Right. That's what we're talking about. It's okay that things change. Yeah, you go through the stages of grief. This life, I, the one word that's been on my mind lately is entropy. Right. You know, all things go to dust. Had yeah. to do a little work on a truck this weekend, and I was thinking, entropy, entropy. Right. Why can't this power steering pump, or, or uh, it was a, there was a nut it was on a washboard road, and it kept loosening this nut on the steering box, and so the start leaking fluid everywhere. I must have gone through several bottles of six bottles of fluid and you know when you're out in the boonies trying to have fun that's not fun right <laughs> getting under a leaky truck right <laughs> entropy entropy is everywhere it, it's it, it it's in the physical world yeah i think it's in the spiritual world i think that if we don't nourish our spiritual selves that that those will entropy into our our own spiritual entropy into Right, and it, in this Dust. in this time, place, state that we find ourselves in this sphere of existence, this world, that is the name of the game: entropy, death. And, and we come here having lost our memory. You know, it's it's a difficult state. But the reason we're talking about this is because you wanted to talk about the uh, Strauss and Howe commentary they wrote about called the Fourth Turning. Right? You want to. Yeah, give so it, give us some a, give us some is, background information. I think a lot of our listeners have probably heard the concept, but I think you should fill in well the blanks. It's you fairly sh- you new. Give it context. It's fairly new to me as well. So I I've just started reading about it recently, but and I had heard of it before. But these two guys, uh, Neil uh, Neil Howe and William Strauss, and I don't know a ton about these guys. I don't know what their worldviews are, their backgrounds, but they wrote a book called The Fourth Turning. This was published in the late 90s. Yeah, 1997, I think, is when they wrote this book. And um, they lay out the case that that there are four turnings or four stages that uh, create a cycle. That, that Societal cycle goes through this Right. All societies go through these, these stages or these turnings. Now, this isn't a, no, this isn't a new concept. I mean, in... Uh, Roman culture, there's this concept of, I, I believe it's called the saeclum. Right. Our word secular comes from this. And he refers to that. He it, says uh, roughly, he says each cycle spans a length of a long human life, roughly 80 to 100 years, or a unit of time the ancients called the, secula, the saeculum. Seculum. The etymology dictionary I'm looking at relates to this to the Greek Ion, A-I-O-N, or e, the word eon that we use. So sometimes translated as an age, 
But the idea is that life goes through cycles and societies go through cycles and the world goes through cycles. We have different measurements of ages in the natural world. Two that I want to bring up, the one that, the one that Strauss and how is it Strauss? How would you say that? My guess St- is it's uh, Strauss. Strauss. Strauss, like uh, Johann Strauss. Strauss and how. You are the pronunciator, so thank you for weighing in on that. <laughs> anyway, you have this idea of a generational age, and that's what they're talking about. They're t- they're saying that during the lifespan of a typical human, eighty to a hundred years that society goes through four changes, four turnings. And I want to also point out, we have other measurements of, of epochs or time. For example, the, equi- uh, the procession of the equinoxes or the equinoctical age, the age, for example, of Aries or Taurus or Pisces or Aquarius. Those last maybe like 2,600 years. And they, this, is because, this is going to be relevant further on in the discussion because we're going to kind of talk about some of the things that, is it how, Neil, how that was in the article we're referencing? Right. He, he brings up some points that I think we're going to take issue with. And that's because society goes through other cycles, other longer cycles. And... It's, it's not just the cycle of the procession of the equinoxes or the ages of the, the equinoxes, but it's all, I think there are other cycles that factor in perhaps smaller, longer cycles. And then there's the cycle of the great year, which is the full procession of all 12 equinoxes, which is approximately 25, 26,000 years. And Earth goes through this. So, some people think there's this cosmic energy that we're affected differently by the different constellations and the different stars and the, and the energy coming from the cosmos. That sounds kind of new agey, but I think there's something to it. One of the things that stuck out to me with these four turnings is that they're, they're fairly compressed from a timeline. And so each of us, regardless of when we live, are going to experience all four phases because they're compressed. They last 20-ish years each. Um, and so even in, in our lifetime, if he's correct, you know, we were born in the seventies. So if he's correct, we were born during the third turning, which is called an unraveling and are now living into the fourth turning, which he calls a crisis. But let me start at, <clears throat> let me start at the first turning. And these are just his words. Okay. The first turning is called a high. This is an era when institutions are strong and individualism is weak. Society is confident about where it wants to go collectively, even if those outside the majoritarian center feel stifled by the conformity. America's most recent first turning was the post-World War II American high, beginning in 1946 and ending with the assassination of John Kennedy in 1963, a key life cycle marker for today's older Americans. Okay. The second turning is an awakening. This is an era when institutions are attacked in the name of personal and spiritual autonomy. Just when society is reaching its high tide of public progress, people suddenly tire of social discipline and want to recapture a sense of personal authenticity. 
young activists and spiritualists look back at the previous high as an era of cultural poverty. America's most recent awakening was the conscientious revolution or the consciousness consciousness revolution, which spanned from the campus and inner-city revolts of the mid-1960s to the tax revolts of the early 80s. The third turning is an unraveling. The mood of this era is in many ways the opposite of a high. Institutions are weak and distrusted, while individualism is strong and flourishing. Unravelings follow awakenings, which teach the lesson that society must atomize and enjoy. America's America's most recent unraveling was the long boom in culture wars, beginning in the early 80s and probably ending in 2008. The era opened with triumphant mourning in America individualism and drifted toward a pervasive distrust of institutions and leaders, an edgy popular culture, and the splitting of national consensus into competing values camps. And then finally, we enter the fourth turning, which is a crisis. This is an era which America's institutional life is torn down and rebuilt from the ground up, always in response to a perceived threat to the nation's very survival. Civic authority revives, cultural expression finds a community purpose, and people begin to locate themselves as members of a larger group. So if we're getting nitpicky, I think that the fourth turning probably didn't start in 2008. I think it started on September 11th, 2001. So it's a 30-year turning here? Or is it going to happen sooner than 2030? Well, this is where where I also think it bears discussion. So Neil Howe, he's saying that we're going to be in this period of crisis until 2030. And so he's based on the past cycles. He's looking for a, a nice neat cycle. And in the book which I have not read, but I've heard a lot said about it and listened to these guys talk. They go through the different cycles in America. You had prior to so the this last cycle started right after World War II, right? That was the last crisis. And then before that, this crisis before World War II was the Civil War. And the crisis before that, four score and seven years ago, was the, the Revolutionary War. So it's, it's sort of like American culture sort of neatly matches this cycle. But it's not, it's not unique to America, although we do have a, a record of other cycles like this in America prior to the Americans, and that is in the Book of Mormon. And in Gospel Doctrine class, we call that the, quote, pride cycle, right? And I think it matches appropriately. You know, the people are humbled by, having been humbled by a crisis period, they then buckle down and become prosperous, and then the people, their children become wicked and prideful, causing the next crisis. And right. that's, essentially, that's essentially what you see happening here. The, the problem with what Howe is talking about is he relates it to institutions and individualism. He sees it, a, he, he may be a patriotic American, but he sees this as the American nation and the institutions of American being strong versus having been unraveled and causing a crisis. 
And I think in when, when we've analyzed the Book of Mormon, unfortunately, in church settings, we misinterpret it as relating to the church instead of actually being a typical societal cycle that all societies go through. If you've studied history, you know that war is a common thread. War is very common, and all the empires of the world have fallen except for the ones that haven't yet fallen. All the fiat currencies, all the paper currencies of the world have failed except for the ones that haven't yet failed. All the economies of the world have failed except for the ones that have not yet failed, right? This is a typical um, cycle. There's two kinds of helicopter pilots. There's those who have crashed and those who will crash. Is that what they say about motorcycle riders too? Uh, probably. Yeah. Or there's there are no old daredevils. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a typical cycle that society goes through. Well, and here's where I think I think he's on to something. I I like this idea because you can you can retrofit it to history pretty cleanly, you know, give or take a few, you know, a decade Decades, or something yeah. here and there. Where I think that this is unraveling and and is that the current unraveling, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll call that, we'll, we'll use his, uh, his dates, you know, beginning in the early 1980s. So basically our lifetime has been a, an, an unraveling, and, and I think uh, both of our current situations would, would attest to that. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But <clears throat> Why not? But no, I, I think that that's fair to say. If you look at some, you know, if you look at the '80s and '90s, were tumultuous decades on a geopolitical uh, and, and it's, see, it's stage. Not, it's not typical for people to look at the world the way we're looking at it. That's right. what's so interesting about Strauss and Howe. They they're looking at the bigger picture. Even even our generation, we were kind of we've talked about this before. How our generation, we we seem to put put ourselves in a special place where we think we have some bit of sanity, but I, I, I think it's special people in our generation. It's not everybody in our generation. We're in a unique position because we know what it's like to not have had a cell phone when we were, right. in, when we were younger. We know what it was like to ha- not have the internet or to have a personal computer in the home. It's not like we lived without electricity. I mean, our grandparents bridged that gap, but I was old enough. I'm, see, I'm the oldest grandchild on both sides. And I knew my grandparents really well, more than I think a lot yeah, of kids. I'm in get the to same know. exact same uh, scenario. Yeah, and they've that's interesting. Mm-hmm. They've both passed on. All, all four of my grandparents have passed on, but I had a chance to really know them and to to hear them, to talk to them. You know, did I, I might have mentioned this this before on the podcast? I was the kid who did a biographical sketch on my grandpa right. in fourth grade, and you know. Did, took video and heard about, all about World War II. Yeah, for for me, I have memories of my grandparents. And one of my my grandpa on my maternal side, I never knew. He died when my mom was young. But my other three uh, grandparents, one of which is still surviving, I have memories of them still youthful. You know, a lot of kids remember grandpa and grandma as being old, old. old. You know, and my kids... I had kids uh, young enough that, you know, my kids are all remembering their grandparents, my parents, as fairly youthful. Um, but so, I, and I think that's something that my younger siblings don't. 
don't get. Right. They they're don't not, have. They're that. not in a home. They're not in a wheelchair. They're not right. using a walker. They were. They're taking the kids out. I doing, mean, I'd go fishing and hunting with yeah. with my grandpa. My my grandpa was an old basketball coach. One of my grandpas. The other one was an old uh, business guy. He, I'd go to work with the one. Well, with both of them, and but then go shoot hoops with grandpa. He right. taught me how to drive. We we go I fishing. I don't think that's unique to our generation. They take us out to dinner. But I think what is unique is that it's that generation, our grandparents' generation, that that bridged the gap between right after the industrial revolution. You right. Know? That they were you know, they were born in the twenties and thirties mm-hmm. and lived through these this first basically they lived through the last fourth turning into the first turning right new awakening when i say the, the industrial revolution i'm i'm talking you know late 1800s the, they their parents right. their parents had lived right. in the industrial revolution so and we live we're living through the you know, technological te- technological re- revolution. revolution but they but yeah they so so thinking about people in our neighborhood who we know jointly i i, I do think that you and i have a unique perspective. There are a lot of people who are oblivious, even in our generation. But Generation X is uniquely suited, uniquely situated to be able to bridge this gap, to see both sides, more so than Generation Y and Z and the millennials or whoever these people are. Right. They have no context. And, and we have a lot of uh, potential for context. I do, I do think that there are plenty of oblivious Gen Xers out there. And this is and, where... And those that are just older than us. It's interesting to me how some of the guys that are just older than us don't right. really ca- seem to care. This is where I think how gets a, a little bit wrong. And, and we have the benefit of some hindsight because, again, he wrote this in, this 1997, is 1997. And then he made another video, which, is, which we'll link to in 2016. So he, But I think... I think the reason I say I think this fourth turning started in 2001 with the attacks on the World Trade Center is I think what we've done is entered a an era of consistent per uh repeated uh disasters. Like he 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 marks 2008 with the global financial crisis. I don't think you can overlook 2001 especially if you are it's if, an issue of you, seven years. I think y- you can go either way. Right. But I think that event specifically, it wasn't just a memorable event where we all say, you know, where were you when this happened? It marked, it marked the beginning of perpetual, cons- constant war and crisis. Well, I, but we've always been. I know, but this elevated it to the public sphere. Like in the, in the 80s, in 90s, you know, we had the war on drugs, but no one talked about it the same way they talk about the war on terror, right? Nobody talked about it the, the way we talk about it now, like the war on viruses or something, whatever's happening now. <coughs> yeah, I, was, think uh, I think he's trying to get an even 60 years or somewhere around 60 years after 1945. But that's you don't want to be too rigid here. You want to look at the patterns. And so you make a really good point. 2001, September, so it was almost 2002, was, could, the cat, was a huge catalyst. I think they even tried. A new Pearl Harbor. People have forgotten about Y2K. Do you remember the Y2K scare? Yeah, and the, but, they, but remember the PNAC document, the Project for the New American Century. They, call, they said, we need a new Pearl Harbor. Right. And so that's what they, that's what they 
initiated with 9-11. But yeah, go ahead. Um, well, I, I think Y2K was maybe an attempt at starting to drum up fear. I don't remember. Maybe it's just because we were kids, but I don't. No, this isn't fair because in the 80s and 90s, there was, especially the 80s and prior, post-World War II up into maybe 1989 when the when the Cold War officially ended, there was always that nuclear scare, right? Sort of underlying oh, yeah. threat of nuclear war. I feel like, though, that post-2000, the... The scare tactics. The scare tactics, the fear that is instilled into the public mind from the institutions was elevated. And I think maybe that started with Y2K. People thought Y2K was going to ruin the world, that our computers were just going to stop well, working. There's been a steadily building fear factor in media since our in our, in our lives, right? They, right. they wanted to talk about the ozone layer when I was a kid. And right, I, remember, I remember that. I remember doing a project in elementary school about the star wars initiative they would mm -hmm. call it the strategic defense initiative that was where they they would say this was some cockamamie plan that reagan had to put lasers up in the shoot down it, missiles. to shoot down missiles so the there's been well i think th the, there's um, always been a scare going and on we in were my kids lifetime. in desert storm and i remember watching footage of desert storm on Channel One TV. Do you remember Channel One? Yeah, this is a, an important part of the propaganda machine in the state-run schools. You know who was on Channel One? Remind me. You'll you'll uh, you'll recognize the name, and this is, I think, where he got his start. But Anderson Cooper. No way. He was a Channel One anchor, along with Lisa Ling, who's gone on to be on The View and other mainstream shows. Oh my and gosh! Then, so they. Uh, even back then, they, they were brought in on us. Uh, they brought in institutional talent in the in the venerable Nick Clooney. Do you do you know who that is? Do you remember him? Look, I I remember Channel One. I don't remember all the details. I don't know why I remember this stuff so well. No, it's good that you do because they, Nick it Clooney, links. It totally links in. If I'm remembering correctly, and we could obviously look this up, Nick Clooney was a establishment uh, news reporter and the father of George Clooney. So you had okay. institutional talent. This wasn't some sort of student-run. Uh, uh, well, but they're grooming these people right. to be like exactly. your, to be the voice, like like Walter Face, Cron yeah, like Walter Cronkite, voices of a right? generation. Yeah, Walter Cronkite. He was like this person that people would tune into every night to to learn what happened, and he would end it with, "And that's the way it is." And I I remember seeing videos of missiles hitting targets in Iraq for Desert Storm and thinking that is so cool. And they really, that, I think that was the first conflict, the first war, because we, had, we hadn't really been in war since Vietnam, you know, open war. No, you're, you're absolutely and, right. It was, uh, Desert Storm was the first real conflict where we thought, you know what, we might be drafted. Like, right, like right. I, I remember being in school going, oh my gosh, the guys just older than me could be, Right, called into this war, and they were make the media was making a huge deal about how strong the Iraqis were and how long it was going to take, and our guys just completely destroyed them way faster than anybody thought. Well, but I think interestingly, from a propaganda standpoint, was that was the first time I think war was was turned into a video game, because that's what that footage looked like. It looked like a video game, and that spoke to my generation because mm -hmm. we because video games were starting to become more common they, they were they were shifting from the arcade 
into the home with the rise of the Nintendo Entertainment System, mm-hmm. Sony PlayStation, things like that. And ever since then, war is literally video gamed to the point where you know, I, you could watch the bombs hitting the right. the buildings and stuff. I, I we want were watching video of the like first person imagery of the bomb falling right. from the sky. See the crosshair. And, yeah, you and hear it, would, a guy it would land right in the barn door or wherever. Almost to and the point where you could see the smiling people wondering what was coming at them, you know? The military's really embraced this uh, gamification of, of war to the point where I once went to a local recruiting office to pick up what I was told. Would ha- they would have a free CD with a game on it, uh, a computer game. And, and that was could, how they got you into the you office. You could go and get the computer game and i had no i was already you know married and had kids i had no intention of joining the military which they were visibly disappointed about and i was visibly disappointed because they didn't have the game (laughs) it it was a game i can't remember the name of it but it was sort of like what what call of duty is nowadays yeah i think it was called um loot the corpse (laughs) shoot people and loot their corpses only only foreign corpses only foreign corpses no american citizens but well, look. What I'm getting at, though, is is during our lifetime, we've seen, we've seen the propag- propaganda for war of all types really explode. And you know, watch a watch an NFL football game or really any sports, but the NFL's really into it. Every commercial break, there's going to be a, an ad for the military. Well, here's the here's the history. I mean, when we were when we were kids in the '80s, the big deal was communism, right? We, we Red Dawn, um, all the propaganda about nuclear war. Most people don't remember that the Russians boycotted the Olympics, and then the or no, wait, the Americans boycotted the 1990, 1980 Olympics in Russia in Moscow, and then the Russians boycotted the '84 Olympics. And I remember that because we would get the McDonald's scratch off things. And we won a lot of stuff because the Americans were winning a lot of gold medals because the Russians weren't there to take these gold medals in gymnastics and swimming and all the, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think people forget that this, the Soviet Union dominated in sports. You're right. And, and of course, you're, you're they were right. cheating. We know that. They admitted Well, but they, they also had groomed, they, they would groom these kids from right, when they right. were young. And China's and, doing the same thing now. Yeah. But and you're right to, to point out that it was the Soviet Union. Russia is is a distinct entity from the Soviet Union. It was a member of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the right? U- you had USSR, Georgia, Ukraine, which were were operating as a single block, kind of like the United States of America, but it was more of a loose confederation. In that it it broke up, but I've and I've talked about this before. I think that it's a model for the the United States of America breaking up. The United States of America has lost lasted longer, but all the empires of the world have fallen except for the ones that haven't fallen yet. So there's nothing there's nothing that you know set in stone that says the the United States of America has to last into the quote unquote millennium. Right. But but in the eighties, the big boogeyman, of course, was the USSR. And the USSR had been the boogeyman since the end of uh, Vietnam, which was the mid-70s, right? 73-ish. But the big point, the big inflection point, and watch how closely it, uh, Gulf, the Gulf War, Desert Storm, follows upon its heels. It was the fall of the Berlin Wall. 
1989. And wh- when was Desert Storm? 1991? Yep. Like almost pretty much immediately after the fall of the Berlin Wall, which... We get a transition ended to Ended the this. Cold War and... and Instantly, this is a 1984 moment, right? Uh, we, Where the again, paper another... is handed to the speaker. Yeah. And he changes. So you, the USSR went from being enemy number one to instantly being, we love you guys. Welcome to freedom, democracy. And the shift came went from the evils of people like Gorbachev. And uh, although I remember Gorbachev being painted as a somewhat sympathetic figure uh even before the fall of the wall but uh who was it that nixon or sorry who was it was it who who preceded gorbachev was it Chekhov? or i'm i'm remembering things from when i was a kid but anyway what i was uh in star trek right (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i don't know you're typing look it up um (laughs) I'm looking it up right now. List of leaders of the or, Soviet or was Union. It, who Wikipedia was it? There was a us. famous meeting, and I, I, it was Khrushchev's was, the one that beat. Maybe that's, beat, that's beat, what I'm thinking of. Khrushchev he beat was like his the, uh, shoe on the table. He was uh, in the uh, late he was a, the the late fifties, early sixties. So okay. he was he was like the big boogeyman at the time of McCarthy and right. Okay. Know, and and it look McCarthy gets a bad rap. I mean the communists. The, the if you we 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 got to read the Naked Capitalist, the Naked Communist, or right. whatever. You 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 guys know about those books. Anyway, it went because um, the whole point is, and this goes back to episode eight. It's the oligarchy that has been fomenting these wars and financing uh, Hitler, the Soviet Union, and America and China trying to play us against each other so we don't see who the true enemy is. But anyway, Nikita Khrushchev, he uh, was he gave up power in 64. Then you got uh, Leonid Brezhnev. Then you had Yuri Andropov. Then you had Chernenko. That was the guy you're talking about, 84 to 85. He was short-lived. Andropov was 82 to 84. But then Gorbachev was 85 to 91. And so what I was getting at, the point was that when the, when the wall came down, and I still remember seeing, again, going back to Channel 1, Channel 1 News, every uh, second period for the first 20 minutes. And you know, interestingly, our teacher, so that second hour of class, that second period, and this is junior high for me, was extended. It was, it was 20 or 30 minutes longer to make room for Channel 1, and we'd be tested on it and quizzed on it. Oh, and they like, were—they wanted it to. It was part of our grade. We—I remember as a kid watching things like the space shuttle takeoff and then right. the Challenger disaster. I yeah. saw that. Live I saw it live in in school, in school as well. Yeah, and and they they make a big deal of making sure that the kids are tied into the prevailing mainstream right. philosophies and 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 news so that they can have a stake in it. But so almost instantly, the USSR went from being enemy number one and threat number one to friend number one and suddenly it was finance e number one right and and i i don't want to um conflate this with the russian people and the ukrainians and the georgians and the other people who were whose i think lives did improve after the the breakup of the union in different ways and there's there's been struggles but 
1984 m- moment, we went from always being at war with East Asia to instantly being at war with Eurasia or whatever. And almost immediately, Iraq was public enemy number one and Saddam Hussein. And and in the 90s, suddenly you had this increase in Isla- what we now call Islamic terrorism. Was it 90, 1993 you had the Lockerbie airline? Um, again, I'm just remembering these things off the top of my head. That was the the airliner going to Scotland, right? To Lockerbie, Scotland, that was blown up by, what, Libyan terrorists? Yeah, Pan Am Flight 103. This was December 88. Okay, so right in that area, right in that era, that transitional era, it's interesting that in Back to the Future, the big, the big bad guys were Libyan terrorists. That was the first time I ever heard of Libya was watching Back to the Future. Right. Oh, no, the Libyans, they found me. They found me, I don't Marty. know how, but they found me. Run for it, Marty. And so I think that these ideas were being seeded into the public that the next enemy was going to be uh, Islamic extremism, Islamic terrorism. And then in 1990, when was the World Trade Center bombed? Was that 98? You also had the USS Cole attacked in the Gulf of... 93 was the first WTC bombing. That makes even more sense. So 1993, WTC is is bombed. Mm -hmm. 1998, you had the USS Cole attacked in the Gulf of Aden in Yemen Mm -hmm. by Islamic terrorists. And of course, 2001. And then since then, it's been, you know, the war on terror has been in in full, full speed ahead. Until recently, now it's starting to... Calm the down, coal bombing was in October of t- 2000. Okay, so my, my dates are a little off. No, it's okay, but you can see the, the general pattern here. And what we're talking about is patterns. We're talking about the turnings. We're talking about this. And the part that Strauss and Howe miss is the secret combination. Again, referencing episode eight. If you want to know about the secret combination and their pump and dump schemes, then go, <laughs> go listen to episode eight. There's another interesting scripture if you're if you're a member of the well you don't have to be a member but if you're interested in the Book of Mormon or the Pearl of Great Price it's in Moses chapter six verse fifteen it basically says that after talking about secret combinations forming secret conspiracies it says and from thenceforth there were wars and bloodshed among the children of Adam every man's hand turned against his brother because of secret works. Seeking for power. I'm I'm paraphrasing that, but I right. think I'm pretty close here. Well, and just, if you look at just in the last twenty to twenty five years, these these moments, these big moments, seem to coincide with stock market crashes as well, and bubbles, and bursting bubbles. And I think it's all related because again, it's all about the pursuing of of money and power and and determining what the new normal in your life looks like not only determining what it looks like but when because normally n- normally our own personal new normals <clears throat> and i really hate using those terms but they happen differently for everybody right it might be uh if it might be a death in the family it might be a sickness it might be a, a vacation to hawaii or something that changes your life or changes the trajectory of your life, changes what's important to you. 
And thereafter, you live your life differently. You pursue, you pursue new goals. Things are important to you that weren't important to you before. That's the beauty of individualism and just freedom and being able to, it's the pursuit of happiness, right? Right. They want to take that away from you and say, this is your happiness. This is how you will pursue it. And it's all going to begin now because the global pandemic has created a irresistible opportunity to reset the way we socialize right, and, and, it's and, and all the stupid rhetoric that they are spouting. Right, That's not new. It's interesting that how wants to end it on 2030 and that coincides with the world economic forums you know reset right by, by 2030 agenda 2030 thing but that's not necessarily when it has to happen i mean i think that this crisis could kick into high gear at any time and it could be in the mid 2020s i mean and have we talked about the eclipse over America, crisscrossing America? That's a bad omen, right? Folks. I think we did. And that ends that end that that second eclipse is in 2024. Well, and, that, and that's why I think, again, I think these guys are onto something with these four turnings. But I think this is not a fourth turning. I think it's a final turning, if we continue on this trajectory, because we are entering. We are in this era of constant crisis. Right. This this coronavirus crisis is just it's another one in a, in a long line of just look back the, since 2001. There's three or four very specific, very obvious crises. And this one, it, as we see, it's being it's being stretched out. It's being prolonged as long as possible till they can set up the next one, whatever that is. If it's COVID-21, if it's alien invasion, it could be an alien invasion or at least the threat of one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It could be, uh, obviously, there's going to be more financial bubbles. And here's where the model, these four turnings, falls apart. Is that in the previous cycles, the, the crisis of the fourth turning is, is uh, fixed or it's, it's, it's built from, there's a, there's, an, a, there's a high, he calls step one a high. There's people who... <laughs> who, who can actually that, build it who build that in, in in our most recent example he talks about the post-world war ii generation you know and they rebuilt the, the country and the world after world war ii again we could decide if we could argue if what they built was beneficial or not in the long term but there were people there that knew how to build and create things i don't think we have that i don't think that we have that in the wake of this coming crisis or this current crisis. I'll always remember the Simpsons episode where Bart goes to military school mm -hmm. and Lisa ends up going with him. Do you remember that? And she has to crawl what, cross what they call, I think, the Eliminator. It's this big, huge suspended rope above a bunch of a briar patch or something, thorns. Mm -hmm. Do you remember this? I don't, but... Oh, it's great. Okay, so I got a Simpsons episode. Make a note here. The episode is funny because Bart has to go because he's been bad and Lisa wants to go. <laughs> and then she... That it's sort of a... I think it was done in the, in the late 90s when the women in the military was an issue. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the funny part of it the Simpsons is such a great social commentary. I mean, we could talk endlessly about all the things they get right and all the great skewering of, of the public mind that they do. 
the uh, the thing is, I'm not going to spoil whether or not Lisa passes, but there's a graduation ceremony, and in it, there's this four-star general or somebody giving a speech to the kids, right? And he says something like this. The wars of the future will be fought in space or at the top of a very high mountain by robots. And it is your job to build and maintain those robots. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so maybe that's what's going to happen here. Well, is a, there's a small group of people that will build and maintain the robots. What happens to the rest of the millennials? I, I mean, don't you know. have that. You have that with drones. Drones are essentially flying robots that people yeah. can. You can kill a whole wedding party in Afghanistan from a trailer in in Arizona or Tucson something. or yeah. someplace. But they, but you pose a good question: Who's going to rebuild society? Who's going well, to? Because I, I, I I, I've heard stories about some of these kids, for example, like that. The, they'll get a flat t- like. New cars, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but most new cars don't even have a spare tire nowadays. What they do is they give you a bottle of that slime mm-hmm. to to pump that in. And if your tire is in worse shape than that, sorry, call AAA right. or whatever. And when they call AAA, I, it's been reported to me, and I can't remember where I heard this or read this. I think I got it in multiple places. But it's common for uh, the guy that's helping out to drive up and it's a young man sitting in the car on his phone. He rolls down the window, pops the trunk while AAA changes his tire or gets him going. And he doesn't even get out of his car. Right. I've heard that's a common phenomenon or read that. Well, and I don't, I don't think, think we're, I don't think I'm exaggerating here. I think it's a real thing. And you know, changing a tire, <clears throat> changing a tire on a car is, Fairly simple thing. To it's do. a very small thing, and it used to be a big deal. It used to be like, "Hey, you need to know how to do this because you're gonna encounter a flat tire." It shows up in plenty of movies. Shows up right. in the literature. Uh, the, one of the favorite episodes is a Christmas Story when the dad has to change the tire, and right. he says to his wife, "He looks at his watch. Time me. Time me. Yeah." <laughs> and he's doing the NASCAR. And it's a thing. little bit of a rite of passage for. Uh, ralphie to go out and help dad yeah and of course he screws up and it leads to the soap episode (laughs) such a that that movie there's you know that movie is a classic for a lot of reasons but one thing that is sort of uh kind of a un underappreciated aspect of it is that the dad is the hero in the end yeah the dad gets him the dang gun after all of these women in his life He'll shoot your eye. His mom, his He'll school shoot teacher, your eye out. tell him he's gonna shoot his eye out. Even Santa failed yeah. him, but his dad. And the smile suspect, on his dad's face right, is great. Classic. He's like, "Oh, I think I see one more." Right. And so every kid should own a BB gun when he's a kid. When he's when he's a kid. That's redundant. Did you, did you have a BB gun? Oh yeah. I look. I had to fight for it. I came from a different. I grew up in a hunting family, so I had a BB gun early on. I had a 22 early on. And as soon as I was legally and lawfully authorized, I had a hunting rifle and a hunting license. So I have never been hunting. I shot a deer. My first deer I shot when I was 16. Wow. Now, I haven't hunted a lot since since high school, but I am getting back into it, actually. So I had I had to earn a twenty two by getting my Eagle Scout. That mm-hmm. was the reward. And 
I remember as a kid going to like Tracy Wigwam or, you know, some of these scout camps. These are the name. If you're not familiar with scout camps along the Wasatch Front, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was fun. They were always fun, fun crafts to do and lots of indoctrination to go through at the scout camps. But they used to let you shoot uh, BB guns when you're really young or, or 22s when you're mm-hmm. a little bit older. And I remember like they'd give you five shots and I would savor every single one because I, I thought this was so great. And my dad and mom were not into this when I was a kid. And so I never got to shoot. So I'd line those bullets up or the little BBs up and just, you know, I was, I was uh, never really a good shot. I was too busy shooting my 22 to get my, my Eagle. (laughs) See, that's, (laughs) (laughs) I came close to the Eagle. I did, but I was also playing a few sports and it just, the older I got, the less I I cared about getting the badges. I participated though in, in the scout camps and things like that. I thought those were great. I mean, I have to give my mom a lot of credit for that Eagle Scout project, which I think uh, it's always been, at least during our lifetimes, I think it's been common for moms to be a big part of an Eagle Scout. So my mom definitely deserves credit for, for that. Although she, it's funny because she'll say that I did a lot of the work. I don't remember doing, I mean, sure. I was oblivious. <laughs> I was living in oblivion as a, as a 14-year-old well, kid. It's well, like... Basketball, television, Gilligan's Island reruns. When we grew up, though, getting an Eagle Scout, and this was true especially in our LDS church culture, but I think it was true in culture in general, that there was some value to that. Oh, I think there was. What what is it right now that, that young kids are supposed to do that, provides value? What there's nothing. What are the rites of passage? Right. You get a cell phone. Right, you get those at when you're three now. And I and some of the best um, commentary I've heard on that is that giving your kid a cell phone is like giving them the keys to the liquor cabinet because <laughs> right. it's just a shot of dopamine. Every time they turn around, they're getting dopamine from their I, cell phone. And, and I, I tend to I tend to overstate things, but and get a little hyper hyperbolic. But I don't think you can overstate the damage that social media is doing to our society but especially to young kids i think it's ruining them forever destroying their minds i mean look at look at what's happening during this pandemic those who are most engaged in social media and traditional media are they're 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 lost they're 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 living in their basements with a mask on they're living in a false reality completely terrified of of their fellow human beings they're completely in, terrified of their neighbors they're in a dream within a dream they're in a matrix within a matrix a it's dream like, within a dream <laughs> that was it arrangement <laughs> but they i've seen this on twitter and again i will always say twitter's not the real world but it's a snapshot and there are people who who are saying that even though i'm fully vaccinated and even though everyone around me is fully vaccinated, I will never go in public without my mask again. I will never, I will never shake hands with somebody again. I will never go to a concert again. I will never go to a, a game or a crowded club or restaurant or parade or whatever. Right. I will. I will never They'll, take more than forty steps on Sunday. Right. I will People, never. It has become a religion. For yeah. One hundred percent. It's a cult. It's a cult. But it's it's so much the Pharisees. I mean, this is, what, is this is the behavior that led to the crucifixion of perhaps the most fantastic 
charismatic individual ever to hit the earth, namely Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus right. Christ, Jesus the Nazarene. But he didn't, he didn't conform to the rules he of was, society. He, he wouldn't conform to the rules of society. Which were all just literal virtue signals. They weren't even beneficial rules. Right. Amidst massive cognitive dissonance, they crucified this guy. He let him do it. He, he set it all. He set them up. But, I mean, they are the prototypical virtue signalers. Well, we're, we're, the Pharisees. we're crucifying. Right now we're witnessing the crucifixion of truth, truth and light and knowledge and... And things that are just basic scientific truths. Well, the thing is, whether they're true or not, we professed to believe them in 2019. Right, right. <laughs> and now we instantly profess not only to not believe them, but that, that it's heresy to believe them. Right. Like the, the whole <laughs> idea that vaccines don't actually work, so therefore keep wearing your mask and keep social distancing. And this is why I'm asking this question, is who is going to rebuild after this current crisis? That's why I think this fourth turn is, is an actual well, final turning. I don't think we rebuild. I don't think there's a new high after this. Well, are you talking about we as America or we as the world? Well, well both, because I think we're seeing this internationally uh, in different stages, right? You have countries like, Enlightened, educated countries like New Zealand and Australia, and I know there's good, honest patriots in the, both of those countries, but I don't know that they'll ever rebound. I don't, I don't know that they have the political clout or the will or the numbers to oust people like this uh, prime minister in New Zealand who has gleefully stated recently that you have to have a vaccination proof, proof of vaccination, or you cannot have a job, any job. That's insanity. It's insane. Frank, and, astronomical insanity. And uh, Australia is kind of going that same road as well, but I do think Australia is a bigger country than New Zealand. They have more people, and I think it's going to be harder. You, you have this in the UK as well, this certain, this sort of acceleration of, of tyranny Neil Howe, in this video that's connected to this article, again, this is 2016, he says, he compares the current stage that America's in, America particularly, to the 1930s, when globally we saw a rise of totalitarianism, particularly in Germany and Russia, um, also in China, uh, he talks about the rise of nationalism, sketchy financial situations. I think we're worse off than even the 1930s because you have people who don't even think that there's a problem that needs to be fixed or who believe that the problem that needs to be fixed is freedom, that freedom is the problem. I saw a Twitter handle the other day. Again, it's one single Twitter handle, but I think it's embodied it embodied this mindset. It said capitalism is the virus. And or 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 white people, Joe Biden in his joint finally he addressed joint session of Congress 100 days into his presidency. And what does he say? What does he say? He says white supremacy is terrorism. He's declaring an open war on white people. White people, because what do white they define? White people who want freedom. White wh people who aren't willing to cower. What do they define as white supremacy? Do they define white supremacy as white people who believe that their skin color makes them superior to other people with different skin colors? No, that's not how they're defining it. They're defining it as politeness, success, 
Well, also people who are willing to stand up against the establishment. Having a family. Yeah. Yeah. Libertarianism, you know, small L, because I think large capital L, libertarianism is as stupid and lost as everything else. It stands for lost, yeah. But if you don't, look, we'll link to some, some, some documentation that shows that just family values are now white supremacy. A Wait. homogenous mother and father led home is white supremacy. Here, here, I want to read you something from the Doctrine and Covenants, and I think I've read this before, but what you're talking about is the fulfillment of prophecy, and what, what we're dealing with here is not just any fourth turning. We're talking about the transition from one age to another, one astronomical age, a switch of the procession of the equinoxes from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius that's going on, We've got that particular turning. We've got the added inflection point of the internet and the interconnectedness of the world hitting us right now. That We've got that fourth turning. We have the idea that the oligarchy is hell-bent on cementing a control society. We've got that turning that's occurring. So all of these different... Stream, streams are converging. All, all of these channels of energy are, or direction are converging, and that's the turning that we're involved in. And simultaneously, you have the culmination of public state-run schools having corrupted the minds of the people. And this was in the 1830s that the Lord told this to Joseph Smith. 1837, this revelation, Doctrine and Covenants, section 112. And, but he says... And, and I, think it, I think it was applicable then, but now it's applicable even more. He says in verse 23, Verily, verily, I say unto you, darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness the minds of the people, and all flesh has become corrupt before my face. That is so incredibly germane, and, I, and it's only gotten worse and worse and worse since the 1830s to the point where we're, you know, we're seeing the signs. We're, we're not in Kansas anymore. It's clear. When you know for sure that you're not in Kansas anymore, it's already too late. That's the whole problem here. It wasn't too late in the 1830s. There was a lot of time and, and transition that they were going through, but now the world is in this state, and all flesh has become corrupt before his face. And it says here, Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, and speedily, I guess, in the Lord's time is 150 years. <laughs> a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, of lamentation, and as a whirlwind, it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me, and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. You know, I guess it's not our intention to take shots at the Mormons here, but that's pretty clear, isn't it? Like, who, who are the peculiar people? Who are the royal priesthood, the chosen generation, the holy nation? Who is it that professes to be the Lord's people that should be leading out in the defense of truth, in the defense of liberty, in the defense of individual rights, in the defense of reality and, and good 
social interaction, good economic principles, good governmental principles. Who's supposed to be leading out there? And then apply it to, you know, the millennial generation who has to have AAA come and change their tire and is fully in, immersed in social media and virtue signaling and living in a, a false reality. One, <laughs> I got to give a shout out to Elder D. Todd Christofferson because he said one of the most salient things I've ever heard in a, I think it was a priesthood session talk. He said, because of social media now, you can actually be of the world and not in the world. Instead of in the world and of the world, he switched it. <laughs> right. I think he was also talking about like um, technology, online games, online and just, yeah, just technology. You, you can be of the world, but not in the world. You're like literally detached. Right. And, well, you uh, live a fake it's a, a fake a life. Fake it's life. a false reality. Yeah. A false reality inside of a false reality inside of a false reality. It's, uh, but that, but yeah, we 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 have a high bar here as Mormons, and we have failed in a lot of ways. I think, and I think that's why it says, "Upon my house, house it shall begin, and from my house it shall go forth, like a whirlwind." The um, these authors, uh, Howe and um, Strauss, they talk about generational archetypes. And I think this is really some interesting stuff. He, they break down the archetypes into four categories. Hero, artist, prophet, and nomad. And they've assigned generations to these roles. Um, the boomers, the baby boomers, who are now in the, their 70s and 80s, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of the people overseeing... You know, they were, they were born during the height, post-World War II... And now they're overseeing the unraveling and the crisis. They're they're catalyzing it. They catalyzed right. it, and they're they're continuing it. And now they're taking the spoils of it. He and calls them prophet, the prophets, um, with their focuses on during their coming of age period. They focus on sanctifying um, inner world reflections. Uh, Anyway, it goes on from there. I, I kind of take exception to the, these archetypes, and we'll get in, we can get into it. Well, them. some people in that generation were prof- prophetic. Right. And he's not saying prophetic so much in the like Old Testament religious context. Okay, but like... Well, here, here's, his, uh, here's their explanation. But they speak forth, right? Because there's... Right. He says, throughout modern history, the four generational archetypes have followed one another in a reoccurring cycle. Kind of like the turning cycle. These go along with the turning. Okay, but so if you look at the best of the baby boomers, like I, I know people personally that I would consider prophetic, but they're not widely known personalities. They see this coming. They, I've learned a lot from baby boomers, but they were right. baby boomers who were in the minority. People right. who were who had eschewed, they had cast aside the 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 mind control programs of the mainstream media, and for some reason, I was drawn to learn from these people, recognizing that everything I'd ever learned in my life could potentially be a lie because of certain right things that happened to me. He lists some other generations <clears throat> that fall under these categories. For example, in the prophet, you have the Reformation, the Puritans. Awakenings, transcendentals, missionary, and then the boomers. 
so then he's got the nomads and he puts our generation generation x as a nomad and i think he gets this one right and maybe i'm biased well i am biased because it's because a lot of these are are things that kind of reflect my own mindset but we value self-sufficiency and competition um tough uh treatment as an elder abandoned i think i think when we get older and our generation assumes that elder role when we as we are starting to now, I think we will feel quite abandoned and ignored. Um, well, it reminds me of Nibley's Hyder culture, the idea that I just want to run into the wilderness. Right. <laughs> and, and like Ether in the Book of Ether, <laughs> in the Book of Mormon, he, the, this is a, a truth teller, a prophet of this book that comes out to warn the people of their pen, impending destruction. And he lives in a cave and he hides in this cave watches the whole thing devolve in front of him. Right. Then he's got the hero, which he... Um, Those are like the people that fought World War II? And uh, rebuilt the after GIs, that. yeah, and yeah. then the millennials is where he puts the hero. But see, that's, that's the comparison you're, you're trying to bring up here is that the, the GIs and the millennials are totally different. The, right. the GIs came from a world that was far more self-sufficient where they had, they had not... The, the public schools had not been sufficiently dis- well, mind destroying. We don't have a we don't have a gen. Um, the millennials are not the type of people who are going to storm the beaches of Normandy. You know, like the GIs were. Oh, I saw the greatest meme. Did you send that to me? Where it showed, uh, peop- it showed a man cowering under his desk, and a man storming the beaches at Normandy, and it said what the greatest generation thought when they were facing 99% odds of almost certain death and what, what the millennial generation thought when faced with 99% odds of surviving a bad cold or right. something. I think I have seen that. And he's, he's cowering under his desk with a mask on. And then you've got the picture of the GI storming the beach. And it's not so much that I think it's it's mindset. It's 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 this idea that there's something in the world worth fighting for. I don't think we have people enough people that believe that there are things in the world that are worth saving, or the things that they do believe are worth saving are so warped. When you look at like these Black Lives Matter protests and things, and the in the warp and the the perverse way that ideas like justice and equality have been have been contaminated it's also <clears throat> but we also because of technology we have the rise of the of the activist who doesn't actually do anything they just write on twitter or they change their facebook avatar and that in their mind is activism and makes them virtuous and righteous people because they stand with something but they don't actually stand for anything because they're just on their phones cowering in their basement with their masks on. And yeah. I don't think, I, I don't I think it's meme. worth this. This is great. This is going on the page. It's so, it's like almost so rude. It's like, it's so abrasive, but it has to be said men in 1944 facing almost certain death versus men in 2020 facing a 99.9% survival rate. It is, this is, right. This to me is the meme of 2020. This is this to me encapsulates it, and so I'll. Uh, and I I don't want to I don't want to 
make it seem like we're just you know lionizing other other generations either because no, every I think generation you're ripping their, on the millennials well, for sure but no. other <laughs> but I'm just saying in general what we're talking about because uh, every generation's had their fails their failures and their Look, and their I, problems I, I, I don't want to I don't want to say all millennials I mean like I know some good kids for sure I know some really good kids and I have a lot of hope because of those people but they're not in the majority and what we're what we're ripping on if you're hearing us rip on anything i'm ripping on the public schools i'm ripping on the state-run propaganda mechanisms that well, have i think dumbed us down. i think that we have to include the universities in that even private but, well universities. they're state yeah we have to because there's really no private universities i mean even the very popular influential private university down the road takes a millions of government state dollars so really it's a state university but Kids now, kids are classified is as the artists, and these are kids. These are people born, you know, after two thousand five or so, according to the, you know, these these guys, these archetypes. He calls that generation the homelanders. I'm not super sure what he means by that. I'd have to look up some more on that. But these are basically your your kids that are in high school now and younger, and they're the artists. They're placid. They're uh, their coming of age is unfulfilling. Um, they're focused on improving, improving, and they're sensitive. Those are not people. That's are not the attributes of somebody that's going to rebuild society. They're the attributes of somebody that's going to benefit from somebody else's hard work, maybe. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I know a lot of good, good kids that are on great uh, trajectories. But generally speaking, the school systems, especially. The, over the last couple of years or year and a half or so with COVID, these kids, these youngest, these young kids are growing up to believe that they are dangerous. Just, just them existing is dangerous mm-hmm. and that everyone around them is dangerous and that the only way to survive is to shun and hide from other people and to be, to be afraid and wary of other people. I don't think we can... We don't know. We won't know for maybe a decade the full extent of the psychological and emotional damage that's being done to them right now. I don't know if we'll be able to have this. I mean, in a decade, I think the society is going to be so dramatically changed that I think it's. I think it's the apocalypse. I, you know, and the ap- apocalypse is the wrong. Apocalypse is the wrong term. It's apocalypse in Greek means the unveiling or the rev, the revelation. That's why the book of apocalypse, or the book of revelation in all the other languages is called the book of apocalypse or the apocalypse of St. John because it means revelation, the unveiling. And so in in our modern vernacular apocalypse means cataclysm, world-ending a cat, world-ending cataclysm. And that's the sense that I'm I th- I think it, it applies in both senses. But I think there is massive world-changing cataclysm that's occurring right now, and it's for sure mind-changing, which is then going to have a great effect on the physical because of the way people act, the way people behave, and the things they value, and the things that they do, and how they react to stimulus introduced by the oligarchy and stimulus introduced by their neighbors. A couple of other prophetic scriptural references to point out here you've got for example in Ezekiel 7 this one always 
this one always uh, struck me. <laughs> Again, this is about cycles and about how, so so it can apply repeatedly throughout history. It doesn't have to just apply in the end times, but that I do think we're in the end times. We're in we're in a situation where the world has become so interconnected that whatever happens happens to the world, right? And it does happen to have to be going on at the change of an astrological age or an astronomical age. You doing okay there, Bobby? Got a little coronavirus? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Anyway, uh, Ezekiel 7, verse 11, violence is risen up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, remain, nor their multitude, nor any of theirs, neither shall there be wailing for them. For the time is come, the day draweth near. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is upon the multitude thereof. For the seller shall not return to that which is sold, although they were yet alive, for the vision is touching the whole multitude thereof, which shall not return, neither shall any strengthen himself in the iniquity of his life. They have blown the trumpet, even to make all ready, but none goeth to the battle, for my wrath is upon all the multitude thereof. The sword is without, and the pestilence and the famine within. He that is in the field shall die with the sword. He that is in the city, famine and pestilence shall devour him. But they that escape, of them that shall escape, shall be on the mountains like doves of the valley, all of them mourning, every one for his iniquity. And all hands shall be feeble, and all knees weak as water. They shall also gird themselves with sackcloth, and horror shall cover them. And shame shall be upon all their faces, and baldness upon their heads, all their heads. They shall cast their silver in the streets, and their gold shall be removed, and their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They shall not satisfy their souls, neither their, neither fill their bowels, because it is the stumbling block of their iniquity. I mean, this is not happy stuff. And you get, you get this one in ch- chapter 45, section 45 of the Doctrine and Covenants. The love of men shall wax cold, and iniquity shall abound. This is uh, verse 27. And I'm talking about neighbor against neighbor. I'm so, as the institutions of the—see, Neil Howe here, he's talking about how there's going to be a, a strengthening of an, inst- an institutional reestablishment, but I think we're, we're talking about destruction of the institutions. I don't, I don't think that people— the 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 part that he's missing is again the secret conspiracies the secret combinations relative to the building up of America. America was free right up until the Civil War, the second time we got into the cycle, right? And then you had the oligarchy rearing its ugly head, and then you get to World War II where it does a big reset, and then you get to this point where we have another big reset, and all of those, as we've discussed at length are directly linked to the activities of the secret combination. Well, what, what they've done here in the last couple of years as they've burned the house down, and I would say the house bur- being burnt down starts with the Trump administration, and whether it's Trump's fault or not, they, they literally have made people entirely distrust. I th- and, and, and this is a thought experiment Bobby and I have kind of considered. Maybe we should go out to, to supermarkets and perform a, a random survey because nobody would answer our phone calls if we tried to call them on the phone, right? (laughs) Nobody answers the phone anymore. But ask them if they actually believe the media. And I think you would, of course, (coughs) excuse me, you'd get a a different response from the guys at Harmons versus the guys at Walmart. You know, you'd have more people at Harmons who believe the mainstream than, than do at Walmart. But the question is, how many people really believe the media? The, the polls, like the Rasmussen polls, uh, other, 
Pew Research, all these guys that do the polling, they're, they're saying that distrust of media is at an all-time high. In the 50s and 60s, it was at a, a low. There was huge trust in media. And in the 80s, there was a lot of trust in media. And so right now, there's huge distrust of, of media and there's huge distrust of the institutions of America. Like the Congress is, is like in single digits, like approval rates for, con for Congress at large are like 9 or 11%. I can't, I can't remember exactly the what it is. The thing that's always struck me, though, is that we don't do anything about it. Well, but that's the thing. The oligarchy is the one that foments all this stuff. The people are just trying to live their lives. And so what they're doing is they're literally burning the house down because they have to to induce the everyday Joe to to move in the direction that they want. Otherwise, we're too comfortable, right? We've got too many video games. We've got our social media. Right. We've got all of our other media. Well, we've had, I think, uh, over the last year, not only the media and government lost a lot of trust, but... Um, the medical establishment, medical yeah. institutions are have lost a we, ton of trust. We've talked about how how they're pushing this idea that that most or half of America has been vaccinated. That's not true. The majority of people do not want to get vaccinated. You've had a lot of boomers who thought they were at risk get vaccinated, but they're having to create these perverse incentives and uh, force incentives. They're trying to force people. So huge ad campaigns. Yeah, trying to get people to get vaccinated. And then, yeah, making it a requirement. I know of people who who got at least one shot because their employer made it a, a condition of employment, which I think is really immoral. And so they they wouldn't have otherwise gotten the shot, but because they didn't want to lose their job or look for a new job, they went and got the shot. But the, what I'm saying is that. But it's that the, kind the, of... I'm saying the institutions are destroying themselves. Right, right. Whether on purpose or not. And they, they intend to, out of the chaos, build a new world order. But what it's created is a situation where the love of men has waxed cold. Now, it's not everybody. I know there's a lot of good people out there. And those people that are listening to this podcast are probably in that group of, quote unquote, good, caring people. But to get to the neighbor versus neighbor cataclysmic apocalyptic type of scenarios that I think the scriptures describe, you have to have the love of men wax cold and iniquity abound. And then it says this in, in Doctrine and Covenants 45 verse 28, it says, when the times of the Gentiles is come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. But they receive it not because they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. Okay, so we've We've had a situation here. We are the Gentiles, and the t our time is fulfilled. That's what you're witnessing right now. You're witnessing a situation where this Western society, built up on classical, Renaissance, Roman, Greek, uh, Judeo-Christian foundation, that, that's the Gentile times. That's being fulfilled. And the, the fullness of the gospel has broken forth, but we perceived it not. Don't think just because you're a member of the church that somehow you got the fullness of the gospel. Because that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about really connecting to God through the principles and ideas and, and understanding the actual reality that those great enlightened ones like Joseph Smith, like Hugh Nibley, have been trying to teach. That's, that's what we're missing. He says, they, re they receive it not, they perceive not the light, they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. 
And there's, there's another scripture right along these lines that's really important that's talking about us in 2 Nephi chapter 28. Boy, we're getting, getting super religious on this one, right, Jordan? Um, talking to myself. You're Jordan. I know. <laughs> I, I'm chastising myself, but I think it's important. <laughs> that talking about well, when, these things are relevant. When the Book of Mormon comes forth, when the Book of Mormon comes forth, it, it, it prophesies about itself, and it says that in chapter two or Second Nephi chapter twenty-eight, it says they've all gone out of the way and they have become corrupted, right? All. It doesn't say everybody except those people that joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or those people that were vaccinated or those people that were members of the the Lions Club or something. It says they all have gone out of the way. They've all become corrupted because of pride and because of false teachers and false doctrine. Their churches, meaning their ecclesias, their groups, their gatherings, their churches become corrupted and their churches are lifted up because of pride. They are puffed up. They rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. They rob the poor because of their fine clothing, and they persecute the meek and the poor in heart. Because of their pride, they are puffed up. And remember, churches here doesn't just mean a religious setting. It's any gathering of people. That's the Greek ecclesia, any congregation. Verse 14, this is the important one. They wear stiff necks and high heads, and because of pride and wickedness and abomination and whoredoms, they have all, all, I'll underline all, put it in all caps, they have all gone astray. And then he says, save it be a few who are the, the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they, the humble followers of Christ, are led that in many instances they do err because they're taught by the precepts of men. Oh, the wise and the learned and the rich, they're puffed up in the pride of their hearts and those who teach false doctrines, etc., etc., etc. They'll be speedily thrust down to hell. I mean, this is us. This is talking about us. And in DNC 45, he says it. He says... They receive it not. They perceive not the light. They turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. And in that generation, the times of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled. And there shall be men standing in that generation. This is what we're talking about. The, the fourth turning, the, the, the four turnings, that generation, that creation, that set of people, that iteration shall not pass until they shall see an overflowing scourge for a desolating sickness shall cover the land. Is that coronavirus? Is this a multi-tiered, is this a multi-leveled, um, layered, esoteric scripture here that we should be understanding in multiple ways? The base meaning being, oh, it's the coronavirus, or oh, it's the AIDS virus, or oh, it's this, this desolating scourge, or is it a mind virus? Is it the gross darkness that covers the earth, and hence all flesh is corrupted before my face? It's a mind virus, in my opinion. It says, My disciples shall stand in holy places. They shall not be moved. But among the wicked, men shall lift up their voices and curse God and die. And there will be earthquakes in diverse places and desolations, and men will harden their hearts against me. They'll take up the sword one against another, and they will kill one another. This is why I read this particular verse, or this set of verses, and all of these in conjunction is because I see it and this is my lengthy explanation of my what I'm talking about, my punchline here. What I see is the destruction of the institutions. And I think that you're, you were talking along those lines too, that Strauss and Howe, they see it as an institutional rebuilding, but I don't think that happens. I think we have started the fiend fire from Harry Potter. We have tried to ride the tiger and 
things have been set in motion that are going to degrade society dramatically. And the, the place we're at in history is a nexus point in history. It's the end of the age, astronomically, astrologically. It's not, this is not the same as your, your World War II turning. This is not your father's Oldsmobile, as they say. This is, right. this is a time that has been foretold, not just in the scriptures, but as far back as the Mayan calendar, right? The 2012, 2012 was a huge inflection point. You got that one. You've got the pillars at Gobekli Tepe. Do you know much about Gobekli Tepe? You ever read that? You got mm-hmm, no. uh, Graham Hancock's Magicians of the Gods uh, discusses it at length. He, he was a guest on Rogan's podcast a couple of times. But the, Gobekli Tepe is thought to be one of the oldest temple complexes found. It's in uh, Asia Minor in Turkey. And these ancient people built this complex of sort of a Stonehenge type of a thing, and then they buried it. It's like 11, uh, 9,000 BC or something like that, 10,000 BC. I can't remember exactly where it is, where they date it. But they, they built it, and then they buried it. And... Hancock and some of these other scholars believe that the the markings on the pillars depict our day. They depict the constellations and the alignments of the the galaxy with the sun, like literally in our day. And there's like a 80 year window of hmm. what all the ancient people were pointing to, and and then aligns with what the Mayans were talking about and other ancient cultures. It's like they all. Uh, they, were, they were all interested in what we were going to do at, in this epoch, in this age. And uh, even Moroni, at the end of the Book of Mormon, in Mormon chapter 8, he says, I've seen your day. I've seen your day. Why do you sell yourselves for that which will canker? Our oh, day. You, oh, you teachers. Go ahead. I'm well, done. I'm done. I was going to say, you know, if we in our day gave more... Uh, it, it, more if we if we put more weight on the supernatural and the cosmological we might not be as is <laughs> as much trouble as we're in but in our day we follow the science and we dismiss anything that doesn't follow the science and where did we get the science from the state run schools and right. from the propaganda machine especially you know recently um <clears throat> homeland generation by the way is defined as the oldest Americans who will never recall any year of prosperity before the catastrophic global financial meltdown of 2008. So basically people born from 2005 uh, to the present, uh, carefully raised by hands-on Gen Xers who don't dare let their own kids take the same risk they themselves took. There's some truth to that. There is, isn't there? Homelanders literally spend more time at home with their multiple digital platforms than any earlier childhood generation in history so that's in it that's the homeland generation and it's true because i i was i was pretty unsupervised as a teenager you know i remember trips to you know going camping and things we always told our parents but the parents didn't come along with us you know so there is some truth to that uh, overcorrection of gen xers becoming helicopter parents you've heard that term mm-hmm. but i think that I think you're right. I think that we're witnessing a massive scourge that isn't the coronavirus, that isn't cancer or AIDS or anything like that. Those could be part of it, but it's a spiritual virus. It's a mind virus. It's a it, it's it's men 
their hearts are failing them. Their, the bravery of us is, le- is leaving us. Our, our courage, our bravery, our desire to, to do right and to seek for truth is being replaced. It's interesting that in, in the description of the homelanders, it says that post, their post-9-11 infants growing up in the shadow of, of, of the American, America's Asian wars and the new U.S. Department of Homeland Security, they mostly believe that the purpose of government is to keep us safe. Um, now it's not just the purpose of government to keep us safe, but it's everything is designed around safety. Universities are there to keep you safe from safe harmful yeah. ideas, right? <laughs> the coronavirus response is designed to keep us safe. Stay home, stay safe. Stay home, save lives. This this factuation infatuation with safety is actually really dangerous and putting us at a huge risk of losing our humanity and losing our ability to rebuild after a crisis because like i said before we have nobody left that's going to know have the know-how let alone the the will and the courage and the impetus to rebuild anything right and that's by design because in order to fulfill the prophecy here you have to have people who are fully dependent on the government to keep them safe to keep them fed to keep them in what minutes uh bandwidth to to keep right. them to keep them in in entertainment well it's um you know it's what we've been saying about the the last 18 months has been a giant demoralization campaign you've got to demoralize the people before you can convince them that doing nothing with their entire lives is virtuous and that's what's happening you have a rising generation and i know i sound like an old man just you know, telling kids to get off the lawn. But we have a rising generation, and it's not just age, right? You have people of all ages that are being affected by this and infected by it, who are doing, who are accomplishing absolutely nothing with their lives, who will look back at their 80-something years and say, what did I accomplish? What did I do? I spent 50 years posting on social media and that's it. And that's all I did. I spent 50 years lying about my life on social media, making it look like I lived a, a, a interesting, fulfilling life. It's, you know, Jordan Peterson is someone who talks about this, how people need to have meaning in their life. You know, he's written extensively about it, whether you like him or not or whatever. I think he's an interesting person and I tend to like his his ideas. And he's trying to light a fire in young people's, particularly, I think his message resonates with men and he's got a lot of criticism for that right from the same weak-minded people who think yeah. that masculinity and and manhood is somehow a toxic deranged dangerous idea it, uh you know again who are the people that are going to rebuild our society after this you can't rebuild society if you don't think that there's a difference between men and women you can't rebuild a society if you think that strong independent men masculine men are dangerous. You can't have a generation that believes these things and put the future in their hands because it'll just it'll be nothing. It'll just crumble like dust. I feel like we're kind of just waiting for the the real cataclysm. Like everybody 
we've been sufficiently instructed, indoctrinated that it's coming because it's been in the public mind for a long time. It's almost inevitable. It's inevitable from a scriptural standpoint. It's inevitable from a media standpoint. The government keeps telling us that everything is terrible. We've talked about a lot on the podcast, the idea that look at the positive, look at, look at this 99.99% survivable thing. Right. We, we've, we've spent quite a bit of time, I think, even in our dire, uh, dour, what is that the word you used last time? Dour. Dour kind of depressing, you know, it's not us that's being depressing. It's the, it's the situation. It is depressing. It is, it is daunting because the 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 public has gone off the cliff. It's like we're we're twelve feet off the cliff. Well, we're think, we're fifteen feet down, and we have got a thousand feet yet to fall and scream. Where that where the wily wily coyote in that moment where he pauses in the yeah, midair and, and holds, he, up, the holds sign. up the sign. Oops, oops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the, I think one of the things that we don't understand is that the solution is free. Okay, you don't need trillions of dollars of fiat fake money the solution is free it's pretty fast acting and uh it 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 you don't even you don't need any education you don't need anything that the solution is is truth and, and freedom and freedom and those things and don't, personal responsibility those things don't you don't need government programs for that you just need people who will pass it on to the next generation and and, per, and 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 that's where maybe the failure of our generation as parents we are not teaching our kids that freedom and and responsibility are actually no we're not we farmed it all out extremely to, important we we farmed it all out to the society. yeah we farmed it all out to the public schools the school that's and our, the devices yeah and and all the other institutions we farmed it out to the churches and the schools and we're not happy with the results that's that's the problem that the Gen X guys are having here is our our kids have been, you know, we well, delegate home, we delegated the responsibility to take care of our kids to other people. There are these homelander kids that are going to spend more time indoors on their computers than they will outdoors playing with sticks and rocks and throwing mm-hmm. dirt clods and exploring and it, the orchards in the mountains around them. We taught we've taught these kids to farm out and delegate their conflict resolution mechanisms also that's one of the big problems is we don't like to go talk to each other and say hey neighbor i've got a problem with this or that we what we'll do is we'll call the cops on our neighbor or call the city and have them come over and do code enforcement on them or, if we don't like what's happening in their yard or we'll see something they write that they, we don't like on social media and instead of sending them a note or talking to them personally you we, report the post we, we go to we report the post to their employer and ask for them to get fired yeah, or you report the post to the Facebook guys or Twitter, right. and you this say, "Kick them off! Feelings. Kick them off! Kick them off! I don't want them on here anymore." So we don't deal justly with each other. We've got this situation where we can't even seem to deal with each other, and that's where I think Gen X has gone off the rails. But it's not just Gen X; it's it's we learned that from the Boomers, right? We learned that, learned right. that from our parents. So speaking of a, a coming cataclysm, this was written on Twitter today. I, I just happened to see it. Uh, it's a poll. What fabricated event is going to take place between now and 21st of June that will allow the government to inevitably move the goalposts again? And there's four choices. COVID-21 vaccine edition, alien invasion, nuclear war, or climate disaster. So, uh, 
what's what's june 21st is that the day is it utah or the uh united states what's the i don't know why he picked that date this is not a utah guy or anything oh, okay. so i don't know if, if something's happening i mean isn't that's usually right around the summer solstice isn't it but that is oh my gosh that is the summer solstice that's so this guy's thinking in a cyclical manner there's another there's another set of cycles we have a yearly cycle that we go through we've talked about that i'm gonna i'm gonna click climate disaster because i think they've been I don't think they can sell the climate disaster. They, they can gotta, now, though. Do you think they can steer a hurricane? Do you think they can... Do they seed the clouds? Have you ever gone down the chemtrails rabbit hole? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I, I mean, but I think what we're seeing is... We're seeing the same type of... We're seeing the language of COVID applied to climate. To climate, yeah. And that's a drum I've been beating about climate lockdowns and the way that even like the guys that the WEF and things are starting to talk about uh, climate disasters. Even Bill, Gla Bill Gates just wrote a book. I'm sure you bought it and read it <laughs> Some, called something like how to, how to avoid a climate disaster. <laughs> who, come on, who would buy the book of, called how to avoid a climate disaster by Bill Gates? Who would buy that? Who's his audience? Al Gore. I think he bought it with his own money to propel his, Oh, to get him on the bestseller but, list. But, I mean, who would buy that? I don't even know if he's on those lists. I also think it's funny that recently Joe Rogan, who we've talked about a little bit on the show, you know, if you know anything about Joe Rogan, he's a former athlete. He's big into natural supplements and uh, weightlifting. He's a pretty uh, uh, fit guy, especially for his age. And he recently said, Hey, if you're young and healthy, I don't see really why you'd need this vaccine. Oh, he well, got he's, lampooned he's for that. He's getting a lot of a lot of heat for that. And Yahoo posted an article like, "Why would anybody take advice from Joe Rogan, who is not a doctor?" Well, they also posted an article recently that said, basically, we all need to listen to Bill Gates uh, on who's COVID not a doctor and, vac <laughs> and the vaccine. Well, Bill Gates is not a doctor either, and frankly, I would trust Joe Rogan on health advice far more than Gates. Because Joe Rogan doesn't Look, have a bunch healthy. of... First of all, he, he lives a healthy lifestyle, or somewhat healthy. But he's also not... There's not a whole bunch of perverse incentives. He's not trying to control my health. He's just sharing his opinion and what's worked yeah. for him. Gates, on the other hand, has money involved in vaccines. He has billions of dollars involved in... In, in, so it's it. Bill Gates. We brought him up before. It's he can't be overlooked. He has money in everything that's being pushed on us right now. Okay, right, but vaccines. He, but he's just climate. Again, again, he's just the poster child. Meatless there's, diets. There's tons of there's tons of other oligarchists. Weird that math are, and education that are involved. I know. I think I, what I wrote. I think I wrote on Twitter something like, "We can't overlook the role that Bill Gates or his handlers." Yes. It's playing in all of this because his money anyway is involved in all yeah. of this. And his money, if, you know, we, we talked a little bit about copyright and IP, you know, intellectual property at the beginning of this show. Bill Gates essentially got rich by monetizing something that was open source at the time that was free. So that's what Disney did. Right. Remember uh, Swan Lake, uh, not Swan Lake. Um, they took sleep, all these Sleeping fables. Beauty. They took all these fables. Well, yeah, they took the, the Brothers Grimm stuff, but also you, you take like uh, Tchaikovsky and, right. and made it up with uh, Sleeping Beauty. And it's amazing. That's, that's like, I would say that, for example, that particular one, and there are others that they made back in that era, but 
but the Sleeping Beauty cartoon movie is like excellent, like right. historically excellent. Well, the the old Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah. But they took these. They took these public domain fables. Like Little Mermaid is one, but not just that. But they took the music that was in the public domain, right? So they took and the now, story and, now and they the own music, them. and now <laughs> they put them in the Disney Vault. And every twenty years, they let you buy the DVD again, or right. whatever. It's it's right. genius and it's evil the way what they've done to to make money. But, um, anyway, I've lost my train of thought. We're we talking about Rogan <clears throat> versus Gates. Well. <clears throat> It's just a funny uh, and all of Gates henchmen. So this, oh, we're talking about these these four crisis options. So COVID twenty one, alien invasion, nuclear war, or climate disaster. I haven't been seeing a lot of sort of saber rattling about nuclear war. We hear about China and Russia, but it's right. It doesn't feel like well, that's me, what they want us okay, to, to worry about. To, to to play devil's advocate here against the climate disaster idea. Remember, coronavirus came out of left field. I mean, they, they, they had been talking in the periphery about viruses. It, been, it was seeded in the public mind. It's something that had been carefully set up for a long time. But then when it hit, it was like well, uh, I, right out of I left don't think field. Anybody ex- anybody, I don't think it surprised anybody that there was a pandemic because we've had pandemics. I think what surprised everybody and what came out of left field was, let's shut everything down. Let's turn this into instant guaranteed death if you get it well yeah but like the i wonder if the climate issue is sort of the punching bag like it's 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 just not that plausible we know know that climate changes naturally and so that's the one they throw out there like aoc wants to and the squad and all those people they want to enforce what they call the new the green new deal right so we're going to put that out there Which as they this. got they got in the climate in the covid shutdowns was basically the green new deal <laughs> but the but we're going to go ahead and throw that out there as the boogeyman you should worry about while we do all these other things on the, the genius, side meanwhile we're launching an alien invasion the genius in the virus and making the the virus the enemy is that it's literally invisible and also everyone's gonna get sick everyone gets the cold right and so now they've got it in our heads that every little sniffle you know i i coughed a few minutes ago and you said you've got the covid (laughs) yeah you know and it's a joke oh i know and if you cough in public it's like oh yeah you're just joking with me but there are people who who would be terrified and they would cough like i just did because i have a uh it's springtime. There's talking. like well, plus it's springtime. We've got the like, and they would rush off the to allergies. Get, they would rush off to get tested, and they would quarantine for 14 days, whether their test was positive or negative. You have that in the psyche now, and then, and then, yeah, like you said, uh, uh, coughing in public. Somebody, I saw somebody write on Twitter. Finally, finally let out that cough I've been holding in for a year. You know, because they were <laughs> it was a joke, right? But there's some truth to this that. You go to the grocery store and people are wary of one another. That should not be the way we live our lives. That should not. That is not the ticket. That is not the key to a uh, uh, civil, polite society that values each other and values one another's sovereignty and individualism and no, liberty. Th- this is the love of men waxing cold. That's that's right. what's sad here is, and it's not everybody, but the, it's so. And the irony, 
And the tragedy is that people who value liberty and individual freedom, and I've seen the freedom, you know, free... Really? You know, freedom... Oh, you're kidding me. Freedom itself is being that's the most. That's the most ridiculous... Right. But the irony is that it's... Sort of a thing to say. It's freedom and it's individual liberty that lead to cooperation. You can't have cooperation when everybody is being whipped and forced and pointed, have guns pointed at them and saying, do this. What they usually end up being told to do is to kill each other, to to oppress each other. They're told to rat on their neighbors, to out each other. And the only people that are left after the intellectuals and the free thinkers are killed are all the robot people. All right. So your answer to this would be alien invasion? What were my options? Nuclear war, alien invasion, climate disaster. COVID-21, climate disaster, nuclear war, or alien invasion. Are we making a serious guess? I'm, I mean, how seri- as serious as you can be, I guess, with these choices. Um, Remember, it's between now and June 21st. So uh, uh, six weeks-ish. I don't think they're going to do anything by June. I think they're going to go for the fall equinox. I think they'll do something by September. I think we'll have a good summer. I'm going to go, given, I think you're right, but given that this is for, okay, for, for June, I'm going to go with COVID-21. I think they're going to continue to push this variant and the need for a vax that they don't really think works, but you have to take it yeah, anyway. Re- realistically, if... If they're going to do something, it's probably going to be that. I don't think they're going to be able to pull off a climate disaster. We by might then. have some wildfires by then. I do vote, though. If I got to vote, like, which one should we do? I vote for alien invasion. Like, if we get to pick. All right. I'll put alien invasion so we can see the results. By the way, remember the wildfires? The California and Oregon wild- ones? Yeah. One of, one of the big California ones they found was actually caused by arson. An arsonist was trying to burn a body of a person he had just murdered, mm-hmm. and the fire got out of control and ended up killing two more people and burning, you know, I don't remember how many acres and homes and things. But so it was just folly after folly. Mm. So, well, there, okay. there were early reports when all those fires were going on on the coast that a lot of them were set intentionally. Right, and there was videos of people uh, setting them in Oregon, I think it yeah. was. Okay, here's the results. Um, there's only been 66 votes, but this hasn't been up very long. And it will be taken down after 69 uh, votes. 48% of the vote right now, COVID-21 vaccine edition. Uh. 29% of the vote is climate disaster and 21% of the vote is alien invasion. Only 2% for nuclear war. Okay, so maybe it will be nuclear war because it's got to come out of left field. And then the first comment says it's already on the horizon and he has a screen clip saying from a news story dated 4th of or April 28th, 2021, Germany in particular, gives Brussels a headache. Oh, and there's a, they've got it focused on a little graphic that says COVID, says COVID vaccinations, COVID-19, checkbox, checkbox, COVID-21, X, X. So, meaning not. Hmm. So maybe they are trying to do a COVID-21 uh, scare. 
this summer, I think you're right. I think maybe this summer everyone takes a deep breath, meaning I think the oligarchy and everyone says the vaccines are working as long as you keep getting them. Next winter and fall is going to be really interesting. Are schools going to open up? Are they going to mask the kids? Are we going to have another lockdowns? Are they going to continue to lie to us about masks and asymptomatic spread? That's going to be really... Is there going to be a big push to force vaccinate in order to participate in society? That's a good question. Because now we're going to have coronaviruses every year. And we've had them every year. We've talked about this, of course. They're they're the second most common cause of the common cold. Right. So now we've what we've done is we have made a mind weapon out of the common cold, out of coronavirus. And are are they going to be successful in pushing that? They every know year? they, meaning the oligarchy, know that they have us. Um, just look at the way we reacted over the last year. They know that they have the majority. The question is this year our Enough people going to say internally to themselves and to their families, never again. We got you got us once with this. We tried to do the right thing and slow the spread for two weeks, right. and you abused us. We are never going to allow that to happen again. Fool me or, once, fool me once, shame on you. Right. Fool me twice. You better not fool us again. <laughs> right. You're not going to fool us again. I think that the oligarchy knows that they have us and they can do this over and over and over. And and maybe that's the design. We've talked about that the 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 whole idea is to force us into a revolution so then they can use violence to to put it down, right? And to really unleash hell on us. That's always on the table in my opinion. Well, this uh this article with Neil Howe, he concludes with um this he says to be clear the road ahead for america will be rough but i take comfort in the idea that history cycles back and that the past offers us a guide to what we can expect in the future like nature's four seasons the cycles of history follow a natural rhythm or pattern and see i think he's right up until now i think as we've discussed i think that natural rhythm and pattern is has been disrupted and i don't think that we're just going to cycle back to a period yeah. of a, of a high again a, a pax romana type right. era or the pax americana <clears throat> right i think he's right winter is coming i think is how that concludes yeah he says make no mistake winter is coming which is of course a game but, of but, thrones reference oh really which the author i haven't seen that have you seen that yeah and i got into the books and the the author won't finish the books really it's been 12, 13 years since he last published a book. The TV series came and went and had to invent its own ending. Really? Which was awful. Oh, really? And we're still waiting on two more books, and I don't think we'll ever get them, and I've given up on it. But anyway, moving hmm. on. Well, winter winter is coming, but I think we're talking about the super cycle here, not this, not this smaller 80-year generational cycle. We're talking about a super cycle. I'm, I think it's amazing that we live in this time and age, and... To think that you came to the world at this point in its history is quite significant. I, you really ought to be introspective about that. Ask God, what is it that you're here for? Because I think we've, I have, I, we've been talking for so long, I'm going to have to stop saying, I think we talked about this before, but didn't we talk about what a shame it would be to retire like our grandparents? And you know, the idea that your lot in the world was to come down here, work for 40 years, 
have a 401k and then putter around in your golden years watching Fox News and Matlock and and uh, the Andy Griffith show or whatever you're watching, right. you know, uh, Perry Mason and uh, and just kind of fade away. Or were you here for something more heroic than that, more epic? I think if, if you came to the world at this time and, and you recognize you're not in Kansas anymore, you you really ought to be considering that you have a great responsibility to get in touch with the heavens, to get in touch with God, to find out why you're here, what you're supposed to do, you know, what what the nature of reality is and, and how you're caught up in it, what how right. you fit and into I, it. That's I, I think that's quite exciting. I think along those lines is is uh reject this idea that just because of when you were born, you're supposed to act a certain way. Um, reject the idea that you can just rely on the up and coming generation to carry on the, 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 the values that we all, you know, ascribe to, uh, because that's the kind of, I think that's the kind of idea or the attitude that's gotten that gets us into these messes is we just figure out that somebody else will do it for us. And, and that's that, like, you know, we just call, we just, we just call AAA and they'll do, they'll do it for us. Well, there's no AAA when it comes to saving the world. Right. Call code enforcement, call you, the police, call, call 911. You, you've got to be, you've got to be the person that is going to grasp on to truly the things that are going to save the world. And that's truth. And right. Freedom. You, you've got to be, you've got to be, let's, let's do a movie reference here. Let's do the independence day. You've got to be Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. Don't be the Jeff Goldblum's boss who's hiding under the table and he calls his mother, right? He's that funny talking guy. You can probably do the voice better. He's like, I've got to call my mother. And then he, and then he's like, Oh, I've got to call my lawyer. Right. He's going to call his mom and then he's going to call his attorney. Right. Cause they can help in an alien invasion. Yeah. And he's hiding under the desk and he's trying to figure out what to do. That is, that is typical of society. And you, the listeners of the Mind Virus podcast are not typical in society. You're, you're here gonna, for a if you're going to call your mother, you call her to share the podcast. Yeah, that's her. right. <laughs> and don't, please don't call your lawyer and tell him about the <laughs> Mind Virus podcast. <laughs> share it with all everyone that's not an attorney. I mean, wasn't it Gandhi? This it's kind of become a cliche statement, but and people abuse it, but wasn't it Gandhi that said that you need to be the change that you want to see in the world? You know, I'm paraphrasing, but there's truth to that. If you want, if you want the man in the mirror, if you want more freedom in the world, then act that way. Then be more free. Take off your dumb mask, hug your parents and your grandparents, change his way, call your mother and then go give her a hug. You know, DC, the city of Washington, DC, uh, no announced. message could be any clearer. <laughs> announced. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make that change. There's a black guy they could have put at the top of Rolling Stone's top yeah. 500. Is that except a, that he started to look like a white woman towards the end of his that life. Prince? <laughs> who, who sings that song? Are you oh, serious? Oh, that was Michael Jackson. Oh, okay, okay. Well, well Prince okay. kind of looked like a woman too at the end of his life. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, I totally got you off track. Um. The Washington D.C. has announced this week that they are banning dancing at indoor and outdoor weddings. <laughs> <laughs> Follow the science. The le- the level of of absurdity. 
we're seeing the level of absurdity it's, go it's up astronomical. and up and up and up and we're just taking it. We're oh, just, geez. It's up to my knees. Yeah. Oh, heck. It's up to my neck. Remember, by the way, that's uh, Shel Silverstein. He's great. He wrote a lot of the songs for um, Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show. Remember, really? I did not re- know remember, that. I didn't I know did either until know I went that. down that rabbit hole. <laughs> and we talked about Dr. Hook a few episodes uh, ago. Yeah. Um, and now that I, and then once I heard that and I started paying more attention to their lyrics, it made sense. Um, but the, the level of absurdity is, is just being elevated beyond, beyond rational or it, it's, it's absurd. It's just, it's completely ridiculous. You can't dance at a wedding. I said, you know, I wrote on Twitter, can I dance if I help? firebomb or burn to the ground an Apple store or a Target? Can I dance in the streets? After all, I'd be dancing for justice. <laughs> and how many, how many people saw that tweet? <laughs> Probably me. <laughs> Seven. But three. Uh, you can't dance Nine. at a wedding. Look, if you're in the D.C. area and you're going to have a wedding and, this, uh, and, and you re- they really won't let you dance, you need to get out of there. Go have your dance. Go have your wedding in North Carolina. Boise, Idaho. Or... <laughs> Idaho or Florida. South Dakota was Florida. South Dakota, Texas. Or better yet, have your wedding and dance. And dance. Have your wedding on the White House lawn. Dance on the White House lawn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my. We've gone on long enough today. Okay. I think. Um, Fine. I'm with you on that. Hey, we'll, we'll send some, we'll put links on our website to this generational stuff, the, you know, these, these, this fourth turning and some of these articles and ideas. Right. If, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with your friends. If you're new to the podcast and you're sort of enjoying it and you're not quite sure, still share it with your friends. We're hoping, us, to have, we're hoping to have more of an effect. Give us some feedback. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you're liking, what you're not liking, um, and uh, what we can do better. Only if we like what you hear. Or what, only if we like what you have to say. Only if what you have to say. Only if it's a safe, only if it's safe comments that are not We want harp. comments that are safe and effective. We want comments that are flattering and <laughs> that don't hurt our we feelings. We will agree with your comments if it fits in with what we have planned to do anyway. <laughs> if not, then we won't. No, be, no, really, be no. honest. We, be abrasive. To, be, some, be real. Some feedback and uh, and uh, and uh, that's all. I'm ha- gonna have cut a great this out. have a great week. Uh, you know, dance. Yeah, dance like nobody's watching. You know, there's that old song. I, I know the Grateful Dead had a good cover of it. I think the Rolling Stones covered it. Um, it's where they uh, talk about dancing, dancing, dancing in the streets, dancing, dancing. Dancing in the streets. Keep going. No, nah, that's... Uh, anyway, <laughs> they say, you know, every guy, grab a girl, everyone around the world. Oh, Van Halen did that too. Did he? Anyway, so and dance. Dancing in the streets. Dance in the streets, guys. And mm-hmm, wherever else you are, especially mm-hmm, if you're in D.C. Mm-hmm. I bet we don't have any listeners in D.C. If you're in Washington, D.C., or the Washington D.C. greater metropolitan area, which consists of everywhere between northern Florida seaboard. and southern Canada. <laughs> Please chime in. Chime in. We're gonna we we put up the newsletter thing on our website. We've we've been contemplating, by the way, doing like a giveaway or something like 
maybe a pair of dirty socks that Bobby only wore once, or it may be autographed. I only wore it once, but I wore them for six months straight. Yes. But it was only once. <laughs> and he's going to autograph those. We're, th- we're thinking of maybe doing like a, a random giveaway or some sort of a contest or some sort of a thing. So, you know, an Easter egg type of a thing. Maybe uh, an NFT. An NFT. I don't know if we can pull that off. How do you do that? I don't know. Well, how does anybody pull that off? I don't know. But maybe we'd make a half a million dollars or maybe half a million Bitcoin. Now, that'd be something. But anyway, we're. Go ahead. We are uh, we're thinking of doing that. So please give us some feedback. We're, we're going to give you some love if you give us some love. Yeah, that's a classic. You know what's funny is I put pull that up on my phone and I hold the phone up to the microphone. There's a way to in put post, it in post. I could just take the file of the song and actually that edit would take it too into much the work. podcast. I like that would take too much work. I like how we're doing this. How we're pointing the mic at the speaker every once in a while to give you guys a flavor for what we're thinking of. I think that's good. But we can't end on music because we have to have that fade out music to that our happens. music. So. And we need to say something dramatic when we fade out because that's sort of dramatic music. Okay, go ahead. This is my dramatic statement fading out into our dramatic music. Mind Virus Podcast signing off. Signing off. Dramatically. Have a great week, Bobby.